This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. What is going on, my friends? This is the Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. A Tuesday edition underway. No fills last night, but they're back in action tonight. Got some fill stuff to kind of chomp on today. We've got the NBA draft this week. We've got a lot of NBA silly season notes that we could dive into. All that and more today on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Major League Baseball trade deadline is uh, coming into focus a little bit. You know, it's August 2nd this year. Typically, you know, the trade deadline had been deeper into July. And then they would have the uh, waiver wire trade thing after that. They got rid of that, but they moved the trade deadline back a little bit. It's now August the 2nd is when the MLB trade deadline is. And uh, some names to keep an eye on as uh, the trade deadline, you know, kind of getting into focus. I I would contend that the Phillies may be a team that would look to make a move before the trade deadline. And I bring this up because of what's happening right now. They are kind of walking on eggshells, if you will. They are a team that is not filled with a lot of pitching depth, if you will. And they've got a situation with Zach Eflin that I think needs to, you know, be looked at. I mean, Eflin right now is been removed from the games uh, the last two starts because he had some knee issues. And if that continues, the Phillies certainly might need another option uh, if they have to sit him down, which could be possibly more and more likely uh, with this bruised knee issue that he had. He had two innings the other day. Uh, Rob Thompson said it was due to um, a, a bruised knee. Now, we know Eflin had off-season surgery. He had to get shut down. And he actually got back earlier than he was supposed to get back. Some people didn't think he was going to be ready to start the season. And then, of course, he was ready to start the season. Now, uh, this is could be a precautionary thing, but... I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on. So I think the Phillies would be a team that may need to look into the starting pitching or maybe even a swing guy. Yesterday we talked to Bob Wankel about what they could possibly look into inside their own organization, and he mentioned, well, they don't have a whole heck of a lot. You know, Chris Sanchez is a guy – that he mentioned, who's a guy who could start and go into the bullpen. You could use him in really both roles, similar to what Ranger Suarez is. He's a starter right now, but he's pitched out of the bullpen. Uh, Jim Bowden over at The Athletic gave 10 starting pitchers that the Phillies could be interested in, or not the Phillies, that could be traded at the deadline. And he listed two of them that could be Good fits for Philadelphia. So we'll go through that. He also did, over at The Athletic, 125 Major League Baseball trade targets. Now, a lot of these guys that are pitchers, I don't know, would be really good fits for what the Phillies would have to give up or salary-wise. I think the Phillies are kind of looking for that Kyle Gibson. I think that would be the kind of pitcher they're looking for. 
So if you're thinking that you're going to get some top end of the rotation guy, number one, I don't think many of those guys exist. The top pitching uh, name, according to Jim Bowden, on the market is Luis Castillo from the Reds. I don't know that too many people in our listening audience have a lot of idea who Luis Castillo is. Uh, but right now, him and Frankie Montas, who you may be a little bit more familiar with, the Montas pitched against the Phillies on opening day. He's a name that has been brought up in the past. Those are the top two names right now. But the names on the list of the top ten starting pitchers are not all that attractive. Uh, Pablo Lopez, number three. Martin Perez, who, by the way, you'll see him pitch tonight. He's pitching for Texas against the Phillies, and he's having a great start to the season. Uh, he has um, got a 2.10 ERA in 13 starts. What the number that's really stuck out stood out is uh, he struck out 65 and only walked 18. And he's a guy who's pitched as a starter and out of the bullpen, so he could be an attractive fit for Philly. Kyle Freeland's another guy from Colorado that they list. Uh, there are just not a lot of starting pitching names. Madison Bumgarner, uh, Merrill Kelly from the Diamondbacks. I mean, Kyle Hendricks, I mean, he was a guy who had some success uh, in their World Series year. He was, you know, really one of the best pitchers in baseball, it seemed like, for a little while there. And then he has just completely fell off the map. Uh, so those are the top ten names. So if I'm telling you those are the top ten names, what do you think some of the 125 names look like? So I don't know that there is anything exciting that Dave Dombrowski can really do. I mean, Pablo Lopez is fourth in the National League in ERA. Uh, I think Montas is a guy that if you got him, he would fit nicely into the number three spot, I guess, behind Nola and Wheeler. You stick him in at the number three spot. He's probably the most sought-after starting pitcher in the market. Uh, Apparently, the A's asking price is through the roof. So I don't know what you'd be able to give up, really, to get Frankie Montas. So I think he's kind of out of your league. Um, man, I, I don't see a lot of starting pitchers on this list, Josh, that would be even close to being acceptable fixes for this situation. I mean, Drew Smiley's on the list. Yes, that Drew Smiley. So I don't know what you do there. He lists 29 relievers. Yes, you could probably go through this reliever list and find guys that could help you out. Now, what do you have to give up to get one of these guys? Like, you know, like um, Daniel Bard. He's going to be 37 years old, but he's been outstanding for Colorado. I mean, he's a guy, the guy you saw with the Marlins last week, Anthony Bass. He's been pretty good. Uh, Brock Burke, you'll see him in the Rangers series tonight. He's been outstanding. Um, I don't know. Do the Rangers think they're a pl- in the playoff mix there? You've got a couple of names that are somewhat interesting in the reliever market, more so than the starting pitcher market. But I really think, by the way, Ann Kennedy, he's available again if you want to go back down that road. Uh, Mark Melanson, he's been closing with the Diamondbacks, but he has not been very good. Uh, an ERA up over six. Matt Moore, who, by the way, has a 254 ERA in 20 games. Uh, he has found a, uh, he's with the Rangers, by the way. He's kind of found a niche for them as a left-handed guy in their bullpen. I don't think you want them. Mike McGarry mentioned David Robertson yesterday. He's been really good for the Cubs. So there are some bullpen names, some of which are veterans that you might not have to give a whole heck of a lot up to get. So I think just going through the combing through these names today from Jim Bowden's two articles over at The Athletic, 
I feel like adding to the bullpen is probably the more likely option because those starting pitching lists, the problem is they have no depth in the organization to get. If the starting pitcher gets hurt, you got big problems. They got nothing in the organization. So if I'm surmising what you're saying, basically, let's say Eflin is going to keep having these knee problems. Is it safer then to just go out and get a bunch of bullpen arms and just maybe hope Bailey Falter can last you three or four innings and have a bullpen game the rest of the way if you have some reliable guys out there who are not named Knabel and Familia? Um, I think some of the guys on this list are probably better than Familia or more reliable than Familia. I'm still holding out hope that Knable kind of turns it around. Are you also maybe looking to the one guy in the minor leagues that I saw Peter Gammons right by the athletic, Mark Capel? Uh, doesn't do much for me. I mean, Mark Capel might be a guy, fine, I can use him as a, wrong, a long man. But am I, I'm looking for somebody that can pitch in, I don't want to say high leverage situations, but bigger leverage situations. What, what I think is the best scenario for this team moving forward is that I can have a bullpen with Sir Anthony Dominguez closing, because I don't think I can get a closer. I'm not going to be able to trade for a closer. Right. Right? So my best case scenario here is that Dominguez is my closer. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with it as long as... <laughs> As long as they don't go crazy with it. Like, I don't like this whole Rob Thompson, we're going to have a situational closer role. Like, Well, that, no, I'm saying that thing that's not what I'm saying. I said the closer's Dominguez, not situational closer. The way that I'm mapping out my bullpen right. is that he's the closer. Then I'm fine with that. All right? I have Connor Brogdon, Brad Hand, and Corey Knable. Those are my three guys that are somehow mixed as the seventh, and eighth inning guys, depending on the matchups. I'd probably feel better if you added one of the other names you mentioned. from. And right, and that's my thing, is that if I can get one of these guys that I just listed on that list, not Matt Moore. Like um, Daniel Bard. (laughs) Yes. Well, if I get Daniel Bard, now I can put him in the eighth inning. I feel better. I'd probably feel better about Bard than I do Brogdon. Right. You know. But that puts less pressure on Brogdon then. Right, but it just adds depth and length to your bullpen. Which you need. Which is something you definitively need. Yeah, there's no question about it. You have to add more depth. Now, I think the bigger problem is the starting pitcher uh, pitching situation if somebody gets hurt. That worries me. What would worry you more? The bullpen as is or figuring out what to do if a starting pitcher goes down? My immediate answer is bullpen as is because – if a pitcher does go down, the day he goes down, someone's coming in for the bullpen. And I'm not too confident about who's coming out of the bullpen yeah. in that situation. Like, you know, Bilotti, Knable, uh Christopher Sanchez. Like, these names don't strike confidence in you. You know, you look at, the, for example, the Yankees. The Yankees got a bunch are, of guys Are you off suggesting the- you're completely done with Knable? I think Knable needs to take a week off, honestly. Well, I mean, fine. I don't care how he gets there. I'm just saying, <laughs> have you written him off completely? I'm not asking not you completely. what's your plan for him. Have you written him off completely? 
not completely, but right now, don't you think that you look at that guy coming into the game and you start maybe sweat a little bit? Right now, but I don't. I do think Corey Knebel is a good pitcher. I do think, think that he, he can, can figure be, it out. I think he's a, a guy that could be. Maybe he's not a closer, but guess what? He helped the Dodgers win a World Series last year. He didn't stink for them, so he had a role for them and he filled it pretty good. Right. So, is he a closer? Probably not. Is he a guy that can get some big outs? Probably. I'd like to go back through the World Series games of last year. I have to go back and try to remember, uh, did he pitch in any of those games in any big situations? Right? I mean, you can't sit here and tell me that he was just a waste for the Dodgers. No, I mean, he was a pretty good key pitcher for that Dodger team last year. And the Phillies went out and signed him because of now, here was the one issue that he had with the Dodgers. He only pitched in like 25 games last year because he was hurt. And then once he got back, he was excellent. So I think Knable can be salvaged into something. What is that something? I'm not sure yet. Is it the seventh inning? Is it the eighth inning? I think you got to go and look at how the Dodgers used him and then make your um, adjustments and say, okay, the Dodgers, you know, he thrived for the Dodgers in this role. And I think we're going to have to use him in that role. I mean, in 15 and two-third innings, he only allowed three total earned runs. In what? In the 2021 postseason. In the postseason. Yeah, he okay. pitched in the NLDS and the NLCS. Right, so and that's a lot of innings. Fifteen and two thirds. So he was getting some two inning roll runs in those. Uh, no, he had a lot of one innings, like again and again and again. Wow. So well, he, they only played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They played twelve games. Well, how many appearances did he make? He had one, two, three, four. According to baseball reference, he had eight appearances. So he had, he appeared in eight of the twelve. Playoff games for them. Yeah, that's... What does that tell you? They trusted him. Yeah. I mean, they had... Epic trusted him. He appeared in eight of the 12... Do I have to fact check you on this one? <laughs> now, this one... October 6th, October came in, 9th, October 14th. Hold up, hold up. All right, relax. I'm just kidding. Don't take it so personal. In the first game against the Dodgers, against the Cardinals, in the wild card game... He pitched a third of an inning and got a strikeout. So that was his first appearance. Right. So he came in, faced one batter, and struck that guy out. He threw eight pitches. He threw five strikes. I think one of the biggest problems this year is his command's been terrible. He has more walks this year than he had all of last year, I think. How many walks did he have in the playoffs last year? I'd like to see what that number is. Now, in the first game, they lost to the Giants. He had one walk. In, in all of the playoffs. So yeah. he had one walk in 15 innings. He had one Shoot. walk in 11 strikeouts. That's unbelievable. 11 strikeouts, one walk in 15 innings. In seven games. You just told me it was eight before. I miscounted. Got to fact check this guy. See everybody? Now, I'm, I'm not, I can't verify this personally, but. This says he actually started a game in the postseason. He may have started uh, as the, yeah, because I, I think I remember that. 
Because he did start a game. Now, in this game against San Francisco, he came in relief. He threw an inning that had two strikeouts. So, so far, (laughs) he's faced four hitters and has three strikeouts in what I've seen in the playoffs last year. Now, I think you're right. I think he did start a bullpen game for them. Yeah, because it says GS1 and then GS again. Mm Mm-hmm. So it looks like he started two bullpen games. Yeah, when they did the bullpen games, I do remember him starting He did one against San Francisco, one against Atlanta. Yeah, I do remember the game that he started. Now, he only pitched one inning in both those games. Mm -hmm. So that's why his uh, appearances seem to be. Because I'm thinking if he pitched in 12 games in relief. Now, so far, I've seen him throw in three games, two games and he has four batters faced, and he has three strikeouts. So, again, going back to it, the Dodgers felt that he was important. Now, was he pitching as the closer? No, he was not. Right. He seemingly was coming in. Now, this game he started. He threw one inning and had a strikeout. Mm -hmm. So that game he was the starter. He was the opener, if you will, in that bullpen game against the, the San Francisco Giants in which they won. But in none of these logs that I throw me a baseball reference, he hasn't pitched more than an inning. So it's not like he's pitching multiple innings at a time. They're just like, get him in, get him out. Get him in, get him out. And this game, he he started game one against uh, Atlanta. Atlanta, and he threw one inning and had two strikeouts in that game. So he had been very effective in the playoffs last year. So to go back to the original part of the story is I think that you there's a role for Ken Abel. They just got to get him out of that closers role. So I, I'm okay with Corey Ken Abel being a part of this bullpen and having a role. Just not familiar. Oh, I feel more put it this way. I feel more comfortable and confident in Ken Abel than I do familiar. Me too. Which yeah, is I, I don't think familiar can be trusted at all. Are you okay with Alvarado staying a part of the bullpen? No. I mean, he can stay a part of the bullpen, but I can't pitch him in any high-leverage situation. Can't trust him. Would you? No, but I'm just curious what you think of Alvarado. I think he stinks. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, I just can't trust him. He's got an electric arm. He's got great stuff, but he just can't. He has no control. I think he has no consistency. Yeah, he has zero consistency. He can't be trusted. You can't put him in any high-leverage situations. Okay, I could start an inning maybe with him. Right. But he's going to walk a guy, and i got to get him right out. I can't bring him into a game with runners on base. Mm. I can't trust him. And in 20 games this year, people, 20 games this year that Alvarado's pitched, he's thrown 16 innings and has 14 walks. I mean, he almost walks a guy every time he steps on the mound. You can't have it. So I don't trust him at all. Um, Knable has been terrible. I don't want to say he's been terrible. And, and, and He's been erratic. He just got bad in the last, like, three weeks here. He started the season, because he was on my fantasy team. He was actually pretty good. He started the season off fairly good. Yeah, he was perfect at one point in save opportunity. And hadn't given up a home run all season. And then he gave up that home run, and it just seems that it's gone completely downhill since that home run. So, 
no, I don't trust Alvarado. I don't want to see Familia. I don't want to see um, Knable in high-leverage situations. If I can get him into more sixth-inning, seventh-inning, kind of like the Dodgers used him last year, I feel much better about that. I mean, maybe Knable is the guy you call on if Eflin can't pitch. Maybe tell him to start the game. Well, I mean, he's only throwing an inning. Right, but I mean... Seems a little bit... uh, You need to have one guy to start the inning. Start the bullpen game, right? Yeah, but I don't think the Phillies are going to go with a bullpen game every single game for the rest of the year. Right, but then it gets back to the situation with the starting pitching. Do you still need to go out and get a guy who can be an innings eater as a starter? Yeah, now these guys that were listed and mentioned as fits for the Phillies, uh, the two names that he mentioned as fits for the Phillies were uh, Perez, who's going to throw tonight, and Montas. I'd love to get Montas. I just imagine you got to give up a lot to get him. The, the story they were talking about on MLB Network was that apparently the price that the A's asked for from the Twins in the Montas deal the twins literally almost like hung up the phone on them. Yeah, the and I would Sherman imagine, it. I would imagine if you are the Oakland A's and you are thinking about trading Frankie Montas and you are talking to the Philadelphia Phillies, right? I would imagine that call starts with Mick Abel or Andrew Painter or both. Mm, I mean, he's a twenty-nine-year-old right-hander who. Is three and seven with a three fifty three ERA. Now he's been excellent, and that A's team is not very good. But you heard what Bob Wankel said yesterday. They have gone the Phillies out of their way to try to reconstruct getting young pitching through this thing. I don't think you're going to see them just give it away to get a guy who's going to be thirty years old. Now, the question. Remember a lot of conversation regarding Montas with the Phillies back in spring training, was what about a guy like Alec Bohm? Now, that sounds great for us, right? It sounds great for Phillies fans. Would you trade Alec Bohm for Frankie Montas? Right now, I probably wouldn't, whereas maybe earlier I would have. See, I, I still would. As much as I'm not a Bohm hater, if I could get pitching in here for Bohm, who, look, he's been okay, he's, Hitting to what, 60? He's a butcher defensively while he's gotten somewhat better defensively. I'm not holding up a tree where I can get a number three arm in my rotation for him. So think about that. You guys can kick around your ideas as well. Would you do Bone from Montas? I don't know that the A's would do that. 609-403-0973. Text board 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the mobile app, you can take the app everywhere. Download it on your phone. Take us to the beach. If you're taking a walk on the bike path, riding your bike, you can always have the Sports Bash on the go. Download the app. And don't forget, with the app, you can win Gill's Grill. Yes, it's easy to do. Just launch your app, hit Win Gill's Grill, and enter to win. And listen on Friday during Happy Hour Friday. You want to win Gill's Grill? Get the app, enter now, listen for your name on Friday. If we call your name, you got my grill, a free grill. That's right. The grill is free, and it's from me. It's Gill's Grill on the Sports Bash. Now. 
back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 229 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app where you can win Gills Grill. Download the free mobile app and enter to win a free grill. Listen to your name or listen for your name, I should say, on Friday's edition of Happy Hour Friday. Win Gills Grill for the summer grilling season. Got to have the app. Enter on the app. Listen for your name. Simple as that. And you can win a free grill Friday right here. On the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Talking some fills. Now, I threw out that trade possibility. We talked about that back in spring training. Boom for Montas. I just don't know. I don't know. Boom has been decent this year. It's not like he's hitting 225. You know, he's uh, had some big hits. He's gotten better defensively. Is he? He's a young guy still. I mean, he's definitely, uh, you know, Montas is 29. You're looking at Alec Boom. If you're the A's and I'm going to 25 year old third baseman, uh, he's 252, four homers, 25 RBI. I mean, it's nothing jumping off the page. It's not special numbers. But if you're the A's, are you willing to say, you know what? Let's get a guy who was uh, the third pick in the draft. I think Bohm was third. Yeah. And he's 25 years old, not paying a lot of money, something that is valuable to the A's, not having to pay a lot of money. Um, Right now, he would basically take over the third base spot and be our guy. They got Jonah Bride playing there now. He's a 26-year-old who basically um, was a 23rd-round pick. I don't know. Is that exciting to you if you're Oakland? No, and don't forget, they have him there because they traded Matt Chapman to Toronto for basically what was it, like four of Toronto's top 20 prospects they said on MLB Network, like, you know, whatever their rankings are of like, you know, top prospects in an organization. There was it called MLB Pipeline, I think it's called. So, you know, the Blue Jays gave up a ton to get Chapman, but one of them was not a ready to go first uh, third baseman. So do the A's look at Bowman saying, hey, he's a ready to go third baseman. I'm with you, though. I don't think they'll just take only Bohm. They're going to want something else. Yeah, I would imagine so. But can you make it where Bohm is the headliner of the deal and you're not giving away one of those young pitchers? I mean, I don't know what else. The problem is the Phillies minor league system. Uh, okay, let's ask this question. You got – here's something to, to chew on, okay? You want you want a, uh, a, a, a scenario to, to kind of uh, twist your brain a little bit? Sure. You've got JT Real Muto. Now, he's signed for four more years. Three or four? I thought it was three more. Let me double check. Okay. Your best, one of your best position prospects is a catcher, Logan O'Hoppy. Are you willing to trade that catcher, knowing that he's blocked for three more seasons? So do you say, you know what? We got JT Romuto signed for three years at big money. Yeah. I'll use my top catching prospect and I'll make him the centerpiece of a deal. Or do you have to combine him with Bohm to get a deal done? <sighs> well, now that now you're asking a question that makes it Is Frankie Montas worth trading both of those guys to get? 
See, I think if you're the Phillies, you got to see. Here's the thing: what internally, and Frank's going to join us in about eight minutes from now, so we can kind of get pick his brain on this because he knows the Phillies minor league system pretty well. What? How do the Phillies envision Ohapi? What do they envision him as? Is he? He's 22 years old. Right. How long not, is he going to block this guy? Right. At some point, you, the guy is going to have to come up and play. He's think. hitting 282 with 14 home runs right now and a 395 on base percentage at Double A. Um, so he's knocking on the door to say, "Hey, I'm out, kind of playing where I'm at right now." Now, last year he went up to Triple A and only played six games, mind you. He hit 190 there at Double A last year. He hit 296. Now. He only played there for 13 games. Most of his time has been at A-ball. And last year at A-ball, he hit 270 with 13 home runs. So he went from A to double-A to triple-A last year. They moved him back to double-A right now. Now, I'm not saying he's ready to go at this moment today. He is 22 years old, though. When are you going to start saying, hey, we might have to think about playing him? Or do you have JT Real Muto? And that he's kind of blocking you, and you decide, you know what? We can use Logan O'Hoppy as the guy we want to try to get a pitcher with. Because realistically, he's what? You would say two years away? Yeah, I would think. if he, Well, I mean, if, I, I, depends on how he finishes this year. Does he finish this year strong and then get himself in position where he is... At AAA starting at next AAA year? At AAA, no, the second half of this year. Oh, second half of this year, okay. And... He's at AAA at the second half of this year and then handles himself. Right. I was wondering, like, when – like, right now he's at AA, you said. So, you know, is it something where the second half of this year he goes AAA? You know, how long do they wait to move him up? I don't – you know. Well, I, okay. I would say this, though. He is one minor league position player that I guess you can consider thinking about moving. Because yeah. they don't have a whole heck of a lot of those either. Right. Well, the reason why I bring up uh, what level he's at is because, you know, I was having the conversation last night on game night because someone brought up bringing up Andrew Painter, the pitch for the Phillies. And I said, that's you know, not happening. First of all, he's at A and, and A plus and in nine games. Well, he started at Clearwater, right? Now he's at Jersey Shore. But Jersey Shore, he had one star and he had, you know, he already has a nine ERA. He only pitched three innings. You know, he allowed three runs at three innings. So. He ain't ready for the big leagues. So, you know, I'm assuming Painter's, what, two years, three years away, and he's at eight-plus ball. So if he's, let's say, three years away, I wasn't sure he's Poppy one year or two years away. The other question is, what do the A's think of him? Do the A's think? Well, that we don't know. Now you're throwing a variable, and I can't answer it. I'm sorry. But it I have a lot of answers. That's not one. <laughs> but it is, a, it is an important variable. Sure. I mean, if they don't value him... Um, you know, I don't know what their catching situation looks like today. I mean, that's an organization that is essentially starting over. Well, the A's are a dumpster fire. I mean, there's rumors they might even stay in Oakland. There's oh, they got a terrible they, stadium situation. I mean, there's rumors that Bean might not last after this season. I mean, who knows? Yeah, Sean Murphy, by the way, is their current catcher. He's a 27-year-old. But Montas, to me, is the best available guy, but he'll also... The most to get him. Uh, we'll talk to Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com, Phillies Insider. Uh, he's got his mailbag answering your questions. We'll ask him some more questions as well regarding the trade deadline and what could happen and some names and all that good stuff. 
Good Phillies conversation coming up next as the Phillies take on the Texas Rangers tonight. Marty Perez gets the start for Texas. He is a name that's on this list. So you're going to want to see if this is the guy you're interested in. By the way, he's facing uh, Kyle Gibson gets a start for the Phillies. Former Ranger. Former Ranger. That's right. They got him last year in the Spencer. How, how's he doing, Spencer? Has he hurt? Probably. I would imagine. <laughs> Well, he's probably got to be doing better than Hans Kraus. All right. Uh, if you have a question for Frank, Philly's question for Frank, send it over now. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. More sports bash coming up. Now on 97.3 ESPN. Sports Bash brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. All right, we got a lot of fills to get into. If you have a Phillies question for Frank Close from 973ESPN.com, you can send them to the text board or if you're listening on the free mobile app. We'll answer those questions. His mailbag is posted at 973ESPN.com. Every Tuesday, he answers your questions right here on the Sports Bash Live on 973ESPN. So let's bring Frank in for another edition of the Phillies mailbag here on the Sports Bash Live on 973ESPN. All right, Frank, what's going on, man? Not much, Mike. How are you? We've got uh, this little two-game set with... uh, Texas. It didn't go well the last time. The Texas Rangers swept you, uh, so you're trying to return the favor. Martin Perez gets the start tonight. Uh, he's a guy that Jim Bowden lists as a good fit for the Phillies, so we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Let's talk about that. Starting pitching or bullpen, what does Dave Dombrowski target number one on his list? Well, I think after Sunday with Zach Eflin's early exit and the continued issues with his knee, the Phillies absolutely need another starting pitcher. Bailey Falter, okay in a spot start in the doubleheader. However, there will be more doubleheaders down the road. And who is going to pitch those if Bailey Falter is now in your rotation? So they're dangerously thin here at starting pitching. And God forbid another injury to the starting staff, they could find themselves without somebody. You know, one thing that the Phillies learned last year under the new rules in which you cannot make a non, one of those waiver trades they used to do after the non-waiver trade deadline. So the Phillies need to have extra reinforcements around. Last year, Reese Hoskins went down. They didn't have anybody else to bring in at that point to either play first base or some left field because Brad Miller had to play every single day at first base and the Phillies were dangerously thin and kind of fell off. Phillies need to have some extra depth at the starting pitching spot because if Eflin can't pitch, if there are doubleheaders, and there will be because that's what happens in Major League Baseball, especially when it rains a lot in the summer, they're going to need somebody. So I actually really like that Martin Perez name. You know, he's, he's somebody who's been around the game a lot and has pitched pretty well for the Rangers here at his second go. And he always seems to beat the Phillies, by the way. And what was he with Boston last year? Or, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Uh, you know, I, I just, it seems like he always seemed to have the Phillies number. 
Yeah, and he'll pitch tonight, and he's a guy with uh, about a 210 ERA, and he's got experience in both the bullpen and the starting rotation. That's what makes him somewhat of an attractive guy because the Phillies need help in both areas, and he can kind of fill two roles. If Eflin stays healthy, I go to the bullpen. If Eflin is hurt, I can go into the starting rotation. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 is a really good name. I actually hadn't seen that re- yet <laughs> i guess but, but Bowden has a good suggestion here he is probably the type of guy that the phillies need and and one bonus too just to be clear he's probably not reporting that they're much. interested in perez it's more that he thinks perez would be a good fit for the phillies yeah i would agree with him on that one that, the other that, name he brings up name. is uh the other name he brought up was frankie montas now he's an interesting one because his name came up a lot during spring training and we heard bohm's name I don't know. They said that the A's are asking for a lot. I don't know that the Phillies have enough ammunition to even make an offer there. Yeah, I don't I don't see the Phillies as a match for Montas. Would you love to have Frankie Montas? Absolutely. I don't really see a fit in terms of what the Phillies could give up to get somebody like him. I think the Phillies are looking for somebody who's kind of like a Kyle Gibson type from last year. One of those names that kind of flies under the radar, but at the end of the day is a nice, solid starting pitcher who can pitch pretty well for you at times. And so uh, so probably somebody who's a little bit older uh, without the upside of someone like a Montas because someone is a little bit older and ideally somebody who's making a few dollars because the Phillies might have to take some money on here to really make one of these trades happen. Let me ask you a question regarding uh, Logan Ohapi, who uh, is quickly shooting up rankings and would probably be one of the Phillies' best positional prospects. Um, what do you think the mindset is? You got Real Muto signed for three more years. Ohapi's 22. He's at double A. He's kind of getting blocked right now. Is he a trade chip or a guy they value too much? I think you got to keep him around. So, yes, three more years of Real Muto. Now, think back a few years when Jim Tomey was blocking Ryan Howard, right? When Ryan Howard really started shooting up the prospect ranks. Phillies held on to Ryan Howard, ultimately an injury to Tommy. Ryan Howard had his opportunity, wins rookie of the year. You know, sometimes if you really believe in your prospect, you just got to kind of wait for that natural opening to happen. And, and who knows? Three years is a long time. They could decide to put Real Muto at first sum. He could designate, be the designated hitter sum. There's a lot of different things you can do right now with somebody like Real Muto. Now, I don't think they signed Real Muto to be a first baseman or a designated hitter. Uh, but at least those are some options out there. So if if, if Ohapi is way too hot to uh, keep in the minors anymore, at least you have a landing spot for Remuto. And don't, let's not forget, too, the catching position. You don't catch seven days a week. So uh, I, I think that that's, that's somebody you want to keep around in your system because uh, even after three years of Remuto, because Ohapi's not ready this year, right? So then you're you're kind of talking – all right, two years or maybe even less than two years that there might be that little tension of an extra catcher. Uh, Ohapi can help them well beyond that. So I think he's somebody you really want to keep around. Are there any other names in the minor leagues other than uh, Mick Abel and Painter, who I would imagine are almost untouchable, that Dombrowski can use? I thought it was interesting. Something Ruben Amaro said the other day after it was between the the um, uh, double headers when he said when he was the GM, and that doesn't mean Dombrowski would do the same, was that he always looked for pitching, and he always wanted to trade someone that was not on his everyday roster, not on his 25-man roster. So, in other words, I'm willing to trade minor league guys. Do the Phillies have other guys in the minors that you think can bring back a Kyle Gibson level, a bullpen arm, something like that? 
Yeah, I think the type of trades they're going to have to make, they, they might be trading like a Mickey Moniak, which I know a lot of people still think highly of. They might be trading a, a Frank. Oh, wait, I was never fooled by Moniak. <laughs> well, I still, I still think there's some upside to be had personally, but, but you know, maybe somewhere else he's going to get his, his shot. Uh, but like uh, Francisco Morales, who came up for the Phillies briefly this year, he was lights out at Reading, went to AAA after being summoned by the Phillies, and then he ends up going back into the minor leagues uh, at AAA and didn't really stick there. So he's actually just been optioned down to to AA. Uh, where he can hopefully find himself again, but but he's somebody who was still a a prospect uh, in the Phillies top ten, and you know some some team like the Rangers they might like a guy like that. And by the way, the Rangers are a good team to to maybe trade with again because remember last year they had that trade and swapped prospects, including uh, some major leaguers when when the Phillies got Gibson and Ian Kennedy. Um, the Rangers probably have scouted a lot of these. Phillies prospects, and they might be interested in some more. So who knows? Uh, but I think like the uh, the Francisco Morales type is going to be the one that kind of drives the deal. Um, you know, Phillies have center fielder Rojas down at Class A. Maybe he's somebody that would interest the team. Uh, you know, if the Phillies decide they, they need to find a long-term solution in center field sooner, then uh, he will rise to the majors. Or if they think Simone Muziati looks good enough, they might be able to spare one of those two center fielders. But that, that, that's kind of what they're shopping with right now. Um, maybe Hans Kraus who the Phillies got back from the Texas Rangers last year and is currently injured and can't help the Phillies right now. He might be somebody that, that another team might take a shot on, but they're kind of, they're not the big prospects. They're more like the, you know, Phillies top 10 list, you know, the top 10 list of a team that has three in the top 100 right now. Uh, who, so essentially they're not top notch prospects, but we've seen the last couple of years, some of these trade deadline deals do get done with those types of prospects, particularly if it's a reliever or if it's somebody whose contract is set to expire and you're only getting a couple months of them. All right, let's uh, get into the mailbag. Uh, we'll do a couple uh, rapid fires here. Uh, David wants to know, who should he cheer for? Giants, Braves. Uh, good question. Those are the two teams that you're kind of battling with for a wild card spot. Yeah, I think right now, if you're looking at the series that's being played right now, Giants, Braves, and, and I was following along last night, uh, you, I guess you want the, the, the Braves to lose uh, if you're going game by game. And I guess the idea behind that is the Giants still have a lot of games against the Dodgers and the Padres. And, you know, the the NL West and NL East, one of those two divisions might have two wild cards, but probably not all three, right? So you, you really want to see uh, those teams kind of beat each other up in the West with the idea that the Phillies can take care of their own business and, and win one of these wild cards. But really, I think I think right now, and, and fans are starting to scoreboard watch. The Phillies are three games behind the Braves and, and eight eight and a half behind the Mets. Uh, by the way, that's five game improvement, which is <laughs> twenty one days, which is a pretty big deal. But the Phillies need to take care of their own business at the end of the day, right? So for all the scoreboard watching, I think you want to root for the Phillies to win their games. And if they keep winning their games, they can find themselves into a wild card spot. But uh, but yeah, but certainly if you want the Phillies to take care of business against the Braves, and if the other teams can help out too and then get beat up uh, by the other NL West foes, then that kind of works to the Phillies' advantage. Uh, another question here regarding uh, Segura. It's an interesting one. What do you do with that option? $17 million. I guess he would have been a trade chip too that you can't trade now because of the injury. I, I think you move on from Segura. Not because he's a bad player. I think he's a good player. 
I think he's priced a little bit too high for somebody like that. Plus, he's older now. You know, when he signed that five-year, $70 million contract with the Mariners, what seems like forever ago, you know, he was five years younger. So I think right now with, with Didi Gregorius coming off the books, Gene Segura coming off the books, they'll probably put Bryson Stott at either position, shortstop or second base, and they'll try to maybe try to bring in one impact player. Now, there were some reports out there suggesting that the Phillies might be in on a top shortstop. Now, the two big shortstops out there this offseason coming up, Trey Turner with the Dodgers and Xander Bogarts uh, with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, of course, Dave Dombrowski is familiar with Bogarts from his time in Boston. Uh, but, I, but I'm not totally totally sure the Phillies would put another big money contract into yet another position on the Diamonds. Uh, <laughs> hey, who knows? That's their stupid money to spend. But um, but if the Phillies, Phillies essentially use the money that they're spending on Gregorius and Segura and brought one impact player They'll be covered with Bryson Stott either at second base, where I, I still personally think he's going to land long term, or shortstop. Uh, it gives them some flexibility there. So since being that Alec Bohm sort of stepped up and took a job, and and uh, uh, Bryson Stott Stott is showing that he can probably down the line take take on one of those jobs. It gives them a little bit of leeway here, but you know there, there'll be some um, roster movement. So I, I see that money going somewhere else. But uh, probably not Segura and also probably not Gregorius. All right, Frank Close, the Phillies mailbag. Check out the full mailbag over at 973ESPN.com. Follow Frank on Twitter at Frank Close with a K, K L O S E. And of course, uh, the mailbag every Tuesday right here on the Sports Bass Live on 973ESPN and the 973ESPN free mobile app. Phillies tonight in Texas against the Rangers. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Mike. All right, there goes Frank Close. And, of course, he'll be back next week. And if anything happens during the week, we'll bring Frank back in for more Phillies news you can use. And, of course, when the Phillies lineup is out, we'll get it to you here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, we'll Sixer stuff with Paul Hudrick in about 25 minutes from now. Stick around. More Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 301 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Download the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can win Gill's Grill. I'm giving away a free grill Friday. If you download the app, you can enter easy. If I call your name on Friday, you win Gill's Grill. It's all thanks to the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Just because I'm in a good mood this week. I feel like giving away grills. You get a grill, and you get a grill, and you get a grill. Someone's going to win Gill's Grill. Free grill. Download the app. Enter on the app. Listen for your name. It's all happening Friday at 5 o'clock during Happy Hour Friday right here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. You a griller? I like a good grilled food. I don't get the chance to grill very much myself. But you don't grill, though? I don't really have, usually have time to. I don't see you firing up that grill getting out there. I've, I've done it in the past. I haven't done it in a while. Got to make time for the grill. Get out there at night, 10 o'clock at night, man. People say I need to make time for a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take much to turn that grill on, baby. 
Just get that grill fired up. I'm giving away a free grill this Friday here on the Sports Bash. By the way, uh, it's a you cool know, cool looking grill too. By the way, yeah, it's like a keg. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I can't uh, win it though. Nope, you can't win it, and it's not one of the two grills in my backyard. It's a new grill. It's completely different. Yeah. Um, this week is a very interesting week in. Uh, National League uh, East because the Phillies are playing an interleague game against the Rangers. And typically, um, I'm not a big fan of the interleague. I think I'm ready for the interleague to cease. I get it. Mike Trout got to come here, and that was cool. But I feel like it's lost its luster big time. And it does nothing to help the schedule out. I mean, it basically, I mean, it used to be, like, cool to see like, the Phillies don't have, like, that natural American League rivalry. There's only a handful of them. You know, when the Cubs play the White Sox. Yankees, Mets. Giants play the A's, which who cares about that? The Yankees play the Mets. Stuff like that. But you don't get, like, all juiced up to see the Phillies play the Red Sox or the Orioles or the Blue Jays or the Rays or anything like that. I'd like to see them kind of do away with the interleague series. But, I mean, you got Washington, Baltimore. I'm sure down there it's kind of a big deal, that little Beltway thing. Yeah, Beltway, rivalry thing going on. I am I like what your point is about the regional rivalries are cool. But beyond that, it just doesn't have juice. Right, like I don't need to see the Phillies play the Texas Rangers. I don't need to see the Phillies play the White Sox. Nope, I have no need for some of the matchups that you're getting in these interleague matchups when they're just trying to proliferate you through the league. The only reason that people here would say, oh, you want to see the Angels, is because of Trout, which is going to happen like once every four years. Right. So, that I mean, for he's been here twice. The next time you'll see him is probably not for a couple of years now. I'm assuming three or four, right? I mean, right. they usually rotate all the divisions. Now, the Mets, for instance, they are playing in an interleague matchup right now. They have Houston. They're playing two against the Astros. And oh, then that's... they have Houston again on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. they play Houston this today, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Then they host Houston next week, and then they play Texas for three. I'm not a fan of these two-game series either. No, me neither. But I also don't think that the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers should be infiltrating the National League East race here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, it seems that the AL West was the division du jour right. uh, for the NL East this year. So Correct. you got the Angels, you got the. You open with the A's to start the season. Yep. Remember that? You did that uh, back We're in out the to beginning. Seattle already. Now. Atlanta, for instance, has no interleague games this week. Uh, the rest of the first half of the season, they played wow. Oakland. They played Oakland for two back in. Uh, they played Texas for three back in April, and they played Oakland for two somewhere in there. I saw. Um, did they play Oakland for two? I'm pretty sure I saw them. Yeah, there they are. They played Oakland back in June. They swept them. So, for Oakland, Houston, Texas, and uh, the other team out in the West who is escaping my brain right this second. The Mariners? That would be the Mariners. Uh, They should have no say. They should have no repercussions on the National League East race here. But that's what you have. So, I'm I'm kind of like over 
the whole interleague thing. I'm, I'm done with it. By the way, the Braves play the Red Sox in August. And then they play the Astros in August. Well, do the Phillies have other American League interleague games on their schedule? I'm pulling it up right now. Do they have the Yankees, uh, Red Sox? Blue Jays next month. So they play the Blue Jays next month. Between now and the end of this month, I do not. They play the Rangers here for two, right? Right. I don't think they have another American League not this matchup. On, oh, they, you're wrong about that. They play they, Toronto. Oh, not this month, you said. I yeah. meant between now and the end of the, the, oh, the, the All-Star break. Game. I they play like Toronto month. coming they play up. They Toronto next month. That's what I said. Yeah, so they play Toronto coming up. But after that, in the second half of the season, are they going back through the American League? Like, how are they doing this here? Well, I'm in August right now. I'm scrolling through. Don't see any? Uh, I see lots of Mets games. Never okay. talked about that before. They, had that they got a lot of Atlanta. No, they, they, so they play the Blue Jays. That's it. And then they their last three games of the whole season. No, they play the Blue Jays again in, in September. September. Their last three games of the whole season are in Houston against the Astros. I mean, that's. Bush to play an interleague game to close out the season. This should be a division game, don't you think? It should. Oh, it's in October too. I mean, what the? Well, they started it late this year because of the. Is lockout. that what it is? Yeah, they, they pushed back. They so started far? a week late because of the lockout, so they moved that first series, I think, to the end or something to that effect. But at least yeah. have another doubleheader with the Nationals October first. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, well, as Frank mentioned, uh, there's been a lot of rainouts and a lot of games have been moved around already. Oh, See, that's one of the examples I would give. Like, there's no need to play Houston. If you're going to play an early game, you put them in the meaningless parts of the season. You don't have the last week of the season coming down to the Phillies of the National League East matched up against the Astros of the American League West. You don't have a team traveling from here to there in a game that could mean playoff implications. That'd be like the Eagles playing the Arizona Cardinals last week well, of the like season. Well, the NFL decided that the last week of the season was going to be a division game. They right. were going it to try smart. to have division matchups to close out the season. I think baseball NFL should try to have division games in the last week of the season. Now, the Phillies do play in September on Miami, Washington, Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, Atlanta, Chicago Cubs, Washington. So they do play a lot of NL East teams in the month of September until they close out the season in October. There is a lot meat on the bone in the NL East, but none of those are the Metropolitans. No. So keep that uh, under your cap there when you're thinking about uh, what's, what's ahead here. Now, I think there is... Now, how many... There is an odd where there's one interleague game at all times, isn't there? So you almost have to have the interleague. Well, it's because I think the one league is, what, 16 teams, almost 14 teams? Yeah. So there's that weird outnumbering situation. So, so it used to be 15 and 15, then they moved the Astros out of the National League and the American League, and which was, yeah. Well, see, now they moved the Astros. Because it used to be the National League. The Astros. When I was a kid, the Astros were in the National League, and so were the Brewers. Right. I mean, no, the Brewers were in the American American League. League. So they eventually essentially swapped those two. Yeah, which I don't understand why they had to do that, but... Well, I guess because of the division setups. Now, Houston 
Houston used to be in the NL Central. Now they're in the AL West. And the AL Milwaukee West used to was in the AL Central. And now they're in the NL, NL Central. Central. So, Not seeing how this really solved anything. But. Well, I, because Milwaukee's playing with teams that are more in the North Midwest. Right, like the Cubs. The... Pittsburgh is over in Western Pennsylvania. Oh, they Cubs, by... Cardinals. Yeah, so it does make more of a fit that Houston is with the teams in the West out there as opposed to the Central of the National League. And they wouldn't fit in the National League West either because all those teams are in, in California except for Arizona and Colorado. Right. At least in the American League West, they yeah, do Texas have the Rangers. Rangers. But yeah. everybody else, you got Seattle and Oakland. That's a pretty far trip the for trip, everybody. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Now, would you like to see them just completely redo all of the divisions to make them more... Regional? Yes. Yeah, like, for instance... Um, somebody proposed this a little while, like about a year or two ago, didn't they? To have like these, basically take away the American and National League or something. To yeah, that well, what the idea was is because of the COVID stuff back in 2020, the idea was, why don't we just eliminate some of this stuff and just go regional? Yeah, like, for instance, though. To cut down the travel. The American League East could probably stay. I mean, you could move Tampa out of the American League East and maybe create something that would have like Tampa, Miami, Atlanta. Atlanta. But after that, you're kind of stuck. You only have three teams that are really playing in that region because then you have the Yankees, Toronto, Boston, Baltimore, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington. That's seven teams that are all kind of in that region. But, like, Toronto could be in the central instead of the east. Because they're closer to Detroit and Pittsburgh than they are the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, they could. But I'm saying, like, that doesn't solve the problem of, like, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Atlanta, oddly, are the only three teams that are, like, in the southwest right. or southeast. southeast There's yeah. no baseball teams. That's so odd, isn't it? None in the you Carolinas, none in Virginia. Nothing. Nothing. Well, you could put Washington, maybe. Well, true. I mean, you could you could say to Washington and Baltimore, you know, maybe they're because like in basketball, aren't the Wizards like? Yeah, you know, they're in the. Weird, in the uh, aren't they in that weird South. division? Yeah. Yeah, which is doesn't make any sense either. But I mean, maybe in maybe in you know travel wise, is it is it easier to get from D.C. to Florida than? I guess you could put D.C. to Toronto. You could put. St. Louis and Kansas City in there. That'd be cool. So you would have That's a regional rivalry. Tampa Bay, Kansas City, St. Louis, Miami, and Atlanta. The problem is that you take the Cardinals out of the division with the Cubs, which is a massive rivalry. Yeah, but they still play. I mean, you still play home and home. Would you like? Would you like to see like special exceptions made for like rivalries and some of these like? Schedules a little more, like yeah, which I mean, realistically, in baseball anymore. I mean, yes, Yankees, Red Sox. Do you, I mean, I feel like uh, that doesn't even have the same luster that it had. I still got some luster. There's well, compared to the rest of baseball, sure. <laughs> but well, to me, the biggest rivalries in baseball are Yankees, Red Sox, yeah, Cubs, Cardinals, Cubs, Cubs um, Dodgers, Giants. 
And then after that, it starts getting a little watered down. It's a little murky. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, like, if you are okay with, if you are okay with taking teams from the American League and moving them mm-hmm. to create new divisions that have more regional appeal, would you be all right with that? I'd be all right with that. Or do you want it. to keep the American League teams in the American League and keep the national because if you're going to do that, then you're pretty much set with what you got, right? The only way to really f- change it or fix it would be if you're willing to take American League teams and National League teams and put them and basically change the names. That I mean, unless you kept the American League and National League, it just didn't matter where they are, right? I mean, the the problem is that like you mentioned, the 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 intrigue of interleague before was that the American League game was different than the National League game. Right. Now, there is no difference. So they all have DHs, and they're all basically, you know, whitewashed. Well, and a lot of the, unfortunately, uh, the appeal, who was mentioning this the other day? I guess it was uh, McGarry who said, you know, half the teams in the National League are really, I mean, are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of the teams are under 500. Right. So you have seven teams that are kind of, there's just, you know, there's just not a lot of high-profile teams anymore. Well, that's also because of people have argued that the talent is diluted. They talked about this on MLB Central last week about how there's not as many talented players to go around. In baseball, and they were discussing why that is. Mm-hmm. And they, each person on the panel had their theories. Uh, you know, I would argue that you know, if there's not enough talent around, you know, is that because there's too many teams, or is that because there's less good baseball players? Oddly, it feels like there's more good baseball players, but I think we just think there's more good baseball players. Is it because when you said, <laughs> like, for seriously, like? Look at this area, for instance. The baseball is outstanding. They won the Carpenter Cup for the second straight year. There's been so many players in this area that have made it. I feel like we've had a baseball resurgence in this area, but you just asked an interesting question. Is there not enough good baseball players? Right, because if there's not, if if, there, if the talent, like if some of these matchups, the talent is diluted, right? So are there just not enough players to go around? Are they too young? Are they not being developed properly? Are there too many teams and there's not enough good, talented teams? It's, by the way, it's 15 and 15. That's the divisions. Is That's it? why there's an interleague game every week because there's 15 and 15. So Each league is an odd number. They both have an odd number. So somebody texted in and said that they're handcuffed with the schedule because there's an odd number of teams. Someone always has to be playing the other league. I would ask this question. Because of what we're discussing, the dilution of talent and pitching and all this stuff would it would you almost be like football and give a team a bye week or like a bye series, series where like one off team for three every week gets off for three days to kind of get their pitching back together I mean that might help at least some of these weird situations teams get in like look at the Mets the Mets keep having dudes get injured left and right I mean, they they played the whole year so far without the ground. They're without Scherzer. McGill's been on and off the injured list. It feels like the last few weeks. You know, a team like the Mets, they could definitely benefit from having three days to just tell their pitchers to chill out. Yeah, right. I mean, just to help out arms and all that kind of stuff. In a world where 
everybody is trying to, I mean, even at the Major League Baseball level, where a guy throws 80 pitches and you're thinking about getting him out of a game. Yeah. Pitch counts are everywhere. It's it's kind of disturbing after a while. <laughs> you know, Just a like thought. You're, you're, a, you're a Major League pitcher, and we're worried about where you are between 70 and 80 pitches yes. <laughs> instead of watching the game in front of us. Uh, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Um, all right, so... I want to get into Paul Hudrick's going to join me to talk a little Sixers. There's a lot of Sixers stuff going on right now. Two days from the draft. We're two days from the draft. I want to see what Paul thinks about how realistic is it that the Sixers make a major move on Thursday. I mean, we're talking about they have that 23rd pick. If they want to get a player here, that's probably their biggest chip, right? It's it's arguably their most appealing asset. Because realistically, between Danny Green and Matisse Thibel, those guys are, would be more thrown in there for contractual reasons, not for like, hey, I'm a team, I really want Danny Green, who's coming off an injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sports Pass 97.3 ESPN. I also want to get into, uh, I'm sure by now many of you out there have seen the news that uh, Brooks Kepka has decided that he is joining the Live Golf Tour, okay? So this thing is happening. This is hatching. This is happening. Um, Brooks Kepka will leave the PGA Tour. He is joining Live Golf, and he will start this weekend. He is scoffing in the tournament in Portland. that is in Portland, Oregon. After he went off last week and proclaimed up and down. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Is this a nothing burger story? Is it something you have your eye on? I want to get into that. And I have a comparison of why the PGA Tour just simply can't compete. That somebody challenged me on Twitter today, and I have a response for that as well. Fancy dancing. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Pete Thompson tonight. Don't forget, win Gill's Grill. Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com. Get the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download the app. Enter to win Gill's Grill. If I call your name on Friday at 5 o'clock during Happy Hour Friday, you're winning a free grill. Simple as that. Get the app, enter to win. If I call your name, the grill is yours. Paul Hunter, Sixers Insider, up next. Now, back to the sports ESPN. Three twenty-six. The sports pass is live. The draft is on Thursday. The NBA silly season is here. We'll talk about it with Paul Hudrick from LibertyBallers.com as he joins us right now. A lot of stuff surrounding this Sixers team who own the twenty-third pick in the draft on Thursday night. Now that was a pick that was uh, gifted back to them from the Nets. The Nets said, we don't want it this year. We'll give it back to you. Part of the Harden-Simmons deal. The Sixers got to luck out in this, Hudrick, because this is kind of their biggest chip, right? So with that, the fact that they have this trade asset, do you anticipate something brewing and leading up to a big move on Thursday night? Darren Murray uh, is sure as hell going to try. Um, we'll see. It takes two to tango, So, but I, I will guarantee you that he is aggressively working the phones to try to figure out a way to make this 
to turn this asset, like you said, arguably, I would say definitely their best trade chip as, as you know, pick 23, as opposed to any players on the roster. Um, I would say he's going to do everything within his power to try to make it into something that can help them win now. Um, a veteran player, veteran players in a package with, I don't know, name a player, a Furkan Korkmaz, a Matisse Thibel, just for maybe contract purposes. Um, we've heard the rumors of perhaps, you know, uh, Danny Green guaranteeing that money and then, you know, shipping him off with the 23rd pick for a salary thing. So I, they're going to try. Um, they're going to try. We haven't really heard much. And I, I honestly don't know what's out there. I don't know what players out there, but I think back to 2020, Mike, when Darren Morey had one of the best nights for an executive maybe ever uh, in Philadelphia sports where he turned Al Horford and Josh Richardson and some other things into Danny Green and Seth Curry and those pieces got that team to the number one seed in the conference. So um, I would say Darren Morey is not afraid to be bold. And if there is a move to be made that he thinks can make this team better now, he is going to do it. Do you think they're highly motivated to move Thibel or not all that interested? I mean, what what is your take on where they kind of, what their mindset is with Thibel? Yeah, I wouldn't say highly motivated. I, I think it's the listen. I, to me, Mike, it, it boils down to this. You know, Joel Embiid, it's untouchable. Tyrese Maxey, from what I've been told, pretty close to untouchable as, as far as other players on the roster. And they clearly want to bring James Harden back. I believe they'll listen to anything on anyone else. I, I really, truly believe that. But at the same time, if Matisse Thibel's back, I don't think they're going to view that as like a, an end of the world thing. Like, I think they're OK with that. Like, if if they find a player that perhaps is a little more balanced, right, a, a more veteran guy who can play both ends of the floor, give them more offense and maybe less defense than Thibel, they'll explore that. But if Thibel is back, they'll say, okay, like this, this is a player that is still young, that is still a two-time all-defensive team player, and we have to try to find a way to make it work. So I, I don't think that they are, quote-unquote, motivated to try to trade anyone, but I also think that they will listen to on just about any player on the roster. Well, I mean, obviously we mentioned that 23rd pick, Paul, and uh, I would imagine you're going to have to pair a player with that pick to get something of value back in return. Do you think Danny Green has interest around the league because of that contract? I think it's more of a match thing, right? So I think it's if let's just throw out a, a, a scenario and I'm not saying this is tip that this could happen or this is even on the table, but a guy like a Patrick Beverly with Minnesota, right? Um, they're not going to give you Danny Green and Patrick Beverly straight up. But if you throw the 23rd pick in there, that could be what maybe make gives Minnesota interest. Um, so something like that is certainly feasible. I think with Danny Green, it's not interest in the player because we don't know. You know, he he claims he thinks he could be back by the All Star break. That seems awfully optimi optimistic to me. But certainly, uh, if you're pairing him with the 23rd pick or with the Matisse Thibel or with the Furkan Korkmaz, maybe that you can build that um, enough salary where you can make something work for another team that might have interest. So yeah, I, I mean, I think Danny Green's contract could be useful at $10 million. And I, I, I've mentioned Korkmaz a couple times, $5 million. That's like a nice number that could help, again, facilitate a deal with other assets. Uh, we're going into the draft here, and obviously uh, that's a, a big night. Would you be more inclined just to stay at 23? Is there somebody in this draft that you would think, hey, you know what? That might be the best way to go. I would say that if, if the if I need a player... For me to move 23, I need a guy who I know, I am certain, 
will be in the playoff rotation, a veteran player that I know come playoff time, he will help me. Um, I, I mentioned Patrick Beverly, a guy like that who is so good defensively, who has that, you know, that quote-unquote dog, that guy who's tough and, and is going to get under the, the opponent's skin. Um, if I can get that kind of player, I'm moving pick 23. If it's like a, a, a borderline guy, an on-the-fence guy, then no, I wouldn't do it because there are guys I do like. Um, you know, some the, the wings, it seems like there might be kind of a run on those guys. You know, like uh, Jalen Williams from, from Santa Clara is a guy I like an awful lot. He's more of a guard, but he's 6'6 with a 7'2 wingspan, so he can guard wings. Uh, Dalen Terry from Arizona is another guy that kind of fits into that mold. Um, and you look at the more like higher upside guys like Jaden Hardy. Uh, I know he the, the Sixers just worked him out recently from the G League. Uh, he's really intriguing. He was a number two recruit coming out of high school uh, and just and really struggled with the G League squad. But there's a lot of potential there offensively um, to be a really good shooter, to be a really good scorer. Blake Wesley from Notre Dame is another guy who's a one and done guy, really good size as a point guard. So there are players that I think. Uh, could have interest to the Sixers. And when you look, Mike, at Maury's history so far as Sixers, as a Sixers executive here, they took Tyrese Maxey, who was 19 years old. They took Jaden Springer, who was 18 years old. They're going to take the best player available and the highest upside player. So I don't know that I don't know that there's going to be a guy there at 23 that's going to be a contributor right away. And I don't think the Sixers are going to be looking for that specifically. Uh, we're talking about Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers. Um, all right. I guess all signs, as you kind of hinted at, you said clearly uh, they want to hang on to James Harden, but all signs point that they, they expect him to re-sign with the Sixers on a short-term deal. So, Paul, what does that mean then for the team and the rest of the offseason if that happens? That's a great question and one that I don't really know the answer to. <laughs> um, there's a lot of people that are smarter than me and a little bit more plugged in than me that – uh, believe that the deal is going to be that he opts in and he picks up that what is it forty seven and a half million dollar option, which uh, I got to say, if I'm James Harden, I think I would probably do the same thing. Um, and then add on to that, you know, two year, three year, four year extension, whatever it may be. I'd say what that does is it it might hurt the Sixers' flexibility immediately. It depends. I mean, the CBA is so complicated. Like um, they, if they get to like a certain threshold. That might mean they can get more money in their in their exceptions in the full mid level exception if they do less money. It's there are so many little things that could happen, and and that Danny Green contract could play a factor in that. The Furkan Korkmaz contract could play a factor in that. So um, there's just so many little nuances as far as what that means. I mean, again, I kind of reiterate what I said. That trio is solid. Those are your three guys. What they do around those guys, I think, is anyone's guess. And um, I, I like I, I, to, to, I just don't have a clear picture of what it means until that Harden deal happens. I, I don't have a clear picture of what that means as far as their ability to build around um, that trio this offseason. I, I actually had kind of like a a shift in mindset today for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe because we were going to have this conversation, but I feel like. A full offseason of Harden and Embiid getting a chance together might change some of the dynamics that we saw from them and even expand them more. Like, how much did they get a chance to practice together and work and who knows? I'm coming to to better terms with the fact of maybe you should just let those two guys play together. Let Embiid play with the same guy 
again, like, yes, he played with Simmons for a while, which seemed to be a clunky fit. The metrics would say it wasn't as bad as it seemed. I think Harden was probably a better fit. I'm coming to terms with the full offseason of those two guys together might bring just a better product out than any other idea they might have. That's not an outlandish thought at all. Uh, when you look at the postseason and the starting five and the, the, the on-off splits of that starting five, they were really good. Um, you know, the, And I think you know w- this conversation might be different if Joel Embiid doesn't have a torn ligament in his thumb and doesn't have a broken face. Uh, maybe they beat the Miami Heat and they get advanced. I'm not saying that definitely happens, but certainly uh, your chances would have improved, right? I mean, maybe you steal a game one or two in Miami because Joel Embiid scores 40 points or something like that. And I, I do think, Mike, you're, you're spot on in the belief that, yeah, they, they probably will be a little bit better with more time to develop chemistry. You didn't even mention the fact that James Harden, I'm not sure he was ever 100% healthy. And I think the team and him kind of downplayed how, you know, the shape of that hamstring. So him having the ability to have a full offseason where he works out and gets to just play basketball, I think is going to be huge for him. Yeah. So all of that. And then on top of that, Mike, Tyrese Maxey, another year of development for him, um, another offseason to improve on the little nuances of his game. Uh, yeah, I I think the way they went out is what's causing some people to maybe to you know it's kind of dampen expectations, and I get that. But I think there there are reasons for optimism that this team could be better than it was last year. Uh, how realistic is it that uh, Maury's <laughs> off season work, uh, you know, like his uh, aha move, is that he figures out and much like he did with Horford, figures out a way to trade Harris, or do they value him enough to say, no, we want to keep Harris, Maxi, Harden, and Bead together? I think it's similar to Thibel in that I don't know that they're going to actively shop him. I mean, they might, but I-, I think it's more they will listen and they will be interested, but they're not going to trade him. It's not going to be like a, it's not going to be like Al Horford, right? Like it's not going to be where it's like, all right, let's just get off this contract. Let's just try to get something back. I don't think it's that. I think it's they'll explore things, but they, they're going to want to make a move that's going to make them better. If not, they'll stick with Tobias Harris because Tobias Harris wasn't bad in the playoffs. He really wasn't. I thought defensively he was at another level than he's ever played at. I thought that was his best showing on that end of the floor. And I thought he was more of a positive than a negative throughout the playoffs. Yes, he makes too much money. We've all known that. Um, and I also think, too, Mike, like, it's a lot easier to move that contract next season when there's only a year left as opposed to this offseason where he's got two years left. So I think all of that's a factor. Uh, I don't think they're they're totally sold where it's like, oh, well, we're not going to move him. I think if there is an attractive offer that can make the team better from maybe a fit standpoint, they do it. But they are not just going to dump Tobias Harris. I really don't believe that. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, Sixers offseason, uh, really Thursday night. I mean – is kind of almost the key to this whole offseason and see how it starts, right? I mean, you mentioned uh, Maury a couple of years ago, um, you know, kind of springboarded the offseason by making trades that came out of right field, right? I mean, they they were kind of uh, out there. So I guess the right field deal would be, can I figure out a way to get that star that's bigger than guys I already have, I guess, a Beal? Do you think we'll, we'll hear something to that effect, or is that just dreaming at this point in your mind? I think it's just streaming with, with Bradley Beal. I think the, the most realistic thing seems like he's going to sign that ridiculous Supermax contract with the Wizards. 
um, and make a whole ton of money. And then maybe in a year or two, he's going to want out because that situation is not going to get any better. But we'll see. Um, but no, I, I don't see it. Like, I don't, I don't see them finding a way to sign and trade Zach Levine. Like, I, I don't see any of the, those things happening. You never know. Uh, Maury has pulled off crazier stuff in his day. And um, but I, I think it, it, it might be more in that vein of 2020 where it's like, oh, well, I didn't even know we, you could get a Seth Carrier. I didn't even know, like a team would be willing to take Al Horford and you could actually get a player in Danny Green that could help you. Maybe there's a scenario where you, you trade Tobias Harris with another asset and then you bring back a piece or pieces that could fit this team better and make you deeper. Because I think, Mike, that's like the bigger thing to me. Uh, of course, if you can land a Bradley Beal, you try to land a Bradley Beal. But like when I watch the Warriors and I when I watch the Celtics, both of those teams have like seven or eight guys that they feel comfortable throwing out there for long stretches in the playoffs. How many guys do the Sixers have that fit that? Three or four? So that to me is, is the bigger thing in this, this offseason. They need to find multiple players that you feel like can, can play playoff minutes and give you good minutes lengthen out the rotation to where it is seven or eight guys where you feel comfortable playing all those guys. Yeah, I know um, trying to – that's the intriguing – this is like almost like the Phillies trying to figure out how to add pitching or bullpen. They don't have a lot to move. They don't have a lot of organizational depth. You're looking around the Sixers and wondering how can we get better without doing something that's going to kind of uh, rock the boat a little here. This is a big challenge for Maury, don't you think? Oh, 100%. And it's it's – I don't want to say it's do or die because it's not, but like Joel Embiid isn't getting any younger. James Harden definitely isn't getting any younger. And you have a coach in Doc Rivers that already is getting a lot of criticism and a lot of scrutiny from outside the organization. So you have to wonder, you know, if, if, if the season goes awry again, if, you know, if they're out in the, in the, in the second round again, does Joel Embiid start to get a little bit unhappy? Not to say that I think he's going to go scorched earth and like, try to force a trade because I just don't know that that's in his personality. But um, if he loses in the second round again, he's not going to be happy. Um, and, and does that, what does that mean for doc is, is, can you go through another season knowing that doc rivers has taken you to the second round twice and you faltered? Uh, it, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of questions. It, it, I sort of think with what, what I think Maury is thinking um, is they were a pretty darn good team the way they were. If they had a healthy Joel Embiid, maybe things are different. So maybe it's not about blowing it up or, or doing anything drastic, but it's about, again, just finding those couple of guys, those those dog-type players, those P.J. Tucker types that are just tough, uh, smart, and just are, are proven playoff basketball players. If you can find two two of those guys, I think, even, uh, that improves your chances greatly if Joel Embiid is healthy if James Harden is not Houston James Harden, but maybe Brooklyn James Harden will do. And then, again, Tyrese Maxey elevating his game up another level in year three. All right. Speaking of Brooklyn, uh, how likely is it that Kyrie opts out and leaves Brooklyn? I don't think likely. I, I think they're they're stuck together. I, I personally, I, I think that that's a marriage that it, it's a marriage. Like I, I don't think that either side is in a good place if to, to leave the other, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think... Ky- like Kyrie going to go to the Knicks be coached by Tom Thibodeau. Like that's, I-, I would love that. I would be a big fan of watching that, but I, I don't see how that helps the Knicks uh, uh, over the long term. I don't see that help- how that helps Kyrie over the long term. I still think the best case scenario for both sides is he comes back. 
um, keep KD happy because if Kyrie leaves and KD's there with Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton uh, and Bruce Brown, like that's that's not exactly a winning scenario for him. So I think, again, it is in everyone's best interest in that scenario for Kyrie to resign. This just feels like public posturing to me. It's negotiations, especially when they're out in the public. These things tend to happen, and they can get a little bit ugly. But I think ultimately he, he's back with the Nets. Uh, last one on uh, back to the Sixers real quick. Uh, I saw Sam Cassell interview in Utah and, and just getting your thoughts on how big of a loss that might be if they lost. You know, there's been a lot of good coaches who have been assistants here. Uh, Udoka and Quinn Snyder was here, and he obviously left a while ago. Um, you know, Monty you've Williams. got Monty Williams. You've got uh, Mike D'Antoni was here, by the way. I mean, you've had a yeah. lot of good guys coming, but it, it, I feel like he's like if Doc is the the bad cop, Cassell's the guy that's like, hey, he's the guy that at least we have him. Uh, one hundred percent. I think there's definitely like a good cop, bad cop thing with with Doc and Sam. Uh, you saw it when Ben Simmons was still here. Uh, ben talked a ton about how much he 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 leaned on Sam and how much Sam helped him. And same with Tyrese. Uh, it's Tyrese uh, with, with Sam. I I just think. As much as like, yeah, Doc played in the league and, you know, he's a pretty darn good player in his own right. I, I think Sam's like a little bit younger. And I think so. I think Sam's like a little bit less removed from when he last played. And I think for whatever reason, the players gravitate towards that. And I just think it's the energy too. like Doc's like the head guy. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a little bit of a different energy with Sam where I think maybe he's a little bit more approachable. Not to say that Doc isn't approachable, but I, I just think with Sam, he maybe relates a little bit more to the players, especially to the guards. And I think that's where maybe maybe you feel his loss the most is just kind of relating to the players, especially the, the, the perimeter guys and the guards. I think that's where Sam, uh, his, his absence would be most felt. Uh, Paul Hedrick, uh, the draft is Thursday night and the Sixers own the 23rd pick. I would imagine, do you think it's a low percentage chance that they make that selection? No, I don't think it's low percentage. I, I like I, if I'm being honest, I think it's 50-50 um because it takes two to tango and there there has to be that player out there. There has to be the guy that makes sense to part with the 23rd overall pick cuz the 23rd overall pick, yeah, like you're you're not finding, you know, you're not finding necessarily stars there, but 2 years ago you drafted Tyrese Maxey 21. So like do you really just want to kind of say like, "Ah, well let's get like an okay veteran" For pick 23, when maybe you have a chance to get a player that, you know, again, Tyrese Maxey is on the, the, the high end of that spectrum and maybe Jaden Springer's on the lower end, but you might be able to find a guy that has potential to be a difference making player. You can't be so all in that it blinds you to, you know, team building for the future as well. Uh, all right. Paul Hudrick, uh, Sixers Thursday night in the draft. We'll see what happens. Paul, appreciate it, bud. You got him, Mike. Uh, check him out at Paul Hudrick on Twitter. Liberty Ballers is where you can check out all his work. And, of course, right here on the Sports Bash, live with you on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN. Free mobile app, which you get in the Apple Store, Google Play. Download it to your phone and win Gill's Grill. I'm giving away a free grill on Friday during Happy Hour Friday. Download our app. Enter on the app. If I call your name Friday at 5, you win the grill. Simple as that. Burgers, dogs. What else you want on there? Be thrown on the grill. Steaks, chicken, wings. I have the grill. You get the food. I'm not supplying that. More sports bash coming up. Now, back to more sports.
on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 352 on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. Don't forget, football at four on the other side. Get Adam Kaplan in here to talk a little NFL. Got the headlines. PT's here at 5 o'clock for uh, a Tuesday with Thompson. We've got uh, the Stanley Cup tomorrow night. That is a uh, game four. Now, blow out the other side. Tampa got uh, that was a little controversial uh, call, though. It was, but... Uh, a little late, don't you think? Yeah, well, Taves won't just receive a discipline. They just reported that online. Emily Kaplan did, so... So what happened? The Taves hit on uh, Kudrov. Yeah, oh, I thought you were talking about the... Okay, you, you confused me for a second. Let's talk about the goal last night that Tampa challenged. Oh, the goal you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Tampa challenged that, and that changed... The, that turned that game around. Yeah, it did. I mean, I don't know if that was controversial as much as it was just... You know, we have this challenge in our pocket. Why don't we use no, it? No, it just was it? late. That's all. It was like a, it, it, it took him like ten minutes to figure that all out. Well, that's because hockey's inefficient with this stuff. Oh, no question. <laughs> but I'm saying, like the way that all happened, like it looked yeah. like Colorado. They get the gold. Looks they like celebrate. everything's going their way. They're celebrating. Then they stop it and they take what five and a half minutes to figure this whole thing out. Whatever it was, it was too long. And then the, it was way too long. And then the next thing you know, boom, the lightning come, and they just absolutely ripped back in that game. Uh, so the two-time defending champs uh, get back in. Now it's a series, two games to one. Uh, Tampa took a 5-2 lead. They chased Kemp uh, out of the game, and boom, we got a series again. So we got ourselves a series tomorrow night. You can hear game four on 97.3 ESPN. I mean, I said it last night, Mike, that Listen, Tampa was down 2-0 in the last series, mm-hmm. and they came back and won. And won so four it's straight. Like, it's not like they're in. They looked like a totally different team last night. They did. Now, my question is, because they asked this question on the broadcast, I'll ask it to you here. They blamed the atmosphere, the fact that it was higher elevation, for why Tampa didn't play well in Colorado and why they're playing better in Tampa. Could be, Do but guess what? You're going to have to overcome that. Is that an excuse? I mean, it could be, but you're going to have to overcome that. I mean, yes, you're in Denver. You're in Colorado. That happens. So I'm not shocked to hear that. I mean, game one, though, they played well. They did. They played fine in game one. They got their overtime. Right. It was 4-3, on enter- and that was an entertaining game. I mean, it was game two they got blown out, not game one. Yeah, game two, they looked like uh, they, the skates were in uh, cement. They look like they just didn't have it at all in that game. They had a bad day at the office. Uh, Adam Kaplan, Eagle sign of safety. What does it mean? Does he see anything else happening now since Jakarski Tart is signed? And how do the Eagles and their roster look now against the other NFC teams? Now that we're in the middle of the summer. Actually, we're not in the middle of the summer. Summer actually started today. First day of summer. How about those apples? So it's uh, first day of summer. How does the Eagles roster look to Adam next to the other NFC East team? Plus, it looks like Gronk has made his decision on the 2022 season. We'll get into that with Adam. What it means coming up next. Football at four right here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 
97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by the AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. Insidethebirds.com. Inside the Birds podcast. Adam Kaplan. They dropped a new one yesterday at 6 a.m. The new one will be out on Thursday. You can check out the Inside the Birds platform for all your Eagles offseason news and notes. we got all the NFL and Eagles stuff to uh, dive into now with Adam Kaplan from Inside the Birds podcast at InsideTheBirds.com as he joins me on this edition of Football at Four. Adam, welcome back. How are you, pal? I'm good. I hope you're doing well. And certainly a very busy day uh, in sports. A lot happening, man. A lot happening all over the place. We've got uh, a lot of uh, NFL stuff. The NBA is crazy, but let's uh, we we talked on Friday during football at four, and then shortly after uh, you were finished, yeah. the Eagles yeah. weren't done. Howie Roseman was still hard at work, and he brought in a veteran safety, Jaquarski Tart from the Forty ers Fourteen starts last year, sixty four starts in eighty career games. So this guy's got a lot of experience. What does that say? you yes he's a good football player so in our reporting mike we put this out in our show three or four weeks ago we said we expect the eagles to sign a defensive back a corner or a safety they sign a safety and we we certainly won't rule out a corner by the start of training camp or at 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 the latest uh the start of the regular season that would be a a backup veteran outside corner um and we'll we'll get into that in a minute but Jaquaski Tart, by the way, it's Jaquaski just for people to understand. His nickname is Kwaski from uh, people with the Niners. I spoke to a coach who worked with him over the years. Uh, he's a really good football player. He's just Mike. He's missed 31 games since he became a full-time starter at 17. That just, you can't keep paying a guy, and uh, he is 30 years old. He's got maybe two years left in him. He's a good player. He's an intimidator. He's tough. He's a good tackler. He could hit. Um, not not as good as he is as a like when you when you look at what he's good at he's a tackler and a hitter his cover skills are not as good as he is as a tackler um that's why he's more of a uh in the box safety playing closer to the line than he is at a free safety he's played free before but he's played most of his snaps in his career almost not all but a majority of them as a box player and he's got very good size and what's also interesting mike is he was a college teammate of james bradbury which uh uh, for what, I, what I'm told, Mike, that had something to do with him signing uh, to Philly because uh, they're close. Uh, not all of it, but that had something to do with it. And you, you would you would assume that he had good things to say about a short time, Bradbury, uh, being an Eagle here, an off-season program. But uh, that's a good signing. Definitely they needed depth. This is a, this is a major issue for them, depth, uh, Mike, at the safety position. And on Thursday's show uh, on Inside the Birds, Mike, we're going to drop some more knowledge here uh, about where, how they're going to line him up and – why they did this, in addition to what I just said here. And this is a good signing. I like this one. This is the kind of signing you make when you think you're you're going to take a next jump. Not that he's a superstar and he may not even start, but when you're trying to round off your roster, we've been talking about this safety position for months now. It's, it's not a good position for them, but they've got a guy in, in Tart who started a lot of games, as you said. And um, he's put a, he, Look, he was a starter in the Super Bowl run in 19, but he, he's certainly on his back nine. 
let's not talk about him as a full-time starter. He's not going to training camp. Now, it doesn't mean he can't take the job or starting job, but in the end, Mike, Tart's an experienced player, and this makes a lot of sense. Right. Now, you just kind of hit on that at the end, but uh, many people have asked, does he challenge Epps? Does he challenge Harris? Uh, or do they just bring him in as a depth guy? Yeah, well, right now, you know, we'll, we'll have more on this on Thursday's show on Inside the Birds at 6 a.m. Eastern on all of our platforms. But right now, he's a backup. Uh, Harris and Epps are the, the clear starters. That's not in question. The, the question will be, will they open up the job? That We don't know that yet. Uh, Kevon Wallace has been a big disappointment as a, a fourth-round pick the first two years. He's there. Andre Sachere, who's a really good special teams player, is there. And Jared Maiden... Uh, who, who, who's, a, who's been around a little bit you know, with the 49ers, now the Eagles out of Alabama, who was a former undrafted free agent. Uh, the Eagles like him. Um, they they want to take a look at him. And the, the thing that's really noticeable, Mike, uh, I they've got a bunch of safeties who are six feet taller, or, or at least six feet. They've got three of them. Typically, safeties are not that tall. They're usually around 5'10", five, 5'9", five, five, that area. They've got at least three of them, uh, which is... So actually, you could say four, depending on where, uh, depending on where uh, the kid Maiden measures. But Harris, Tart, uh, are definitely over six feet, and that uh, that that's rare in the National Football League. But that's good. The, the, you like to have size at the safety position. Yeah, and uh, I most mentioned this yesterday, Adam. Um, you know, a guy like Wallace might be into. You know, he doesn't play special teams like Shashere. Uh, you know, uh, some of those other safeties that are here. Uh, could he be the guy squeezed out because of special teams? Yeah. So look, he'll definitely go to training camp. He'll get through the preseason. Now, when we get to week one, he's going to have to. He's really going to have to earn a spot right now. You know, looking at his situation, Harris, Epps, and Tart will be on the football team. Uh, we'll have details on Tart's contract on Thursday show, but and then you've got Sasha, who's going to be on the team because he's a special teams player. So you you, you bring up a good point here. Where does Kavon Wallace really fit in here? He hasn't really done much of the first two years. He's had a couple injuries, but minor in scope. Uh, so the, the question now here is for him: Can he earn a spot on the roster? You know, he was on IR last year. He came back uh, over a month later. He just has not made the impact. Uh, you know, he, he's also, by the way, he's more of a box player, and that's the problem. They need more. See, they need more coverage safeties. That's the one issue that, if you study the Eagles, that you struggle with. Other than Epps, they need the guys who could cover. All right, Adam. Uh, okay, they get the safety. That was an area you mentioned. Uh, any other signings you foresee happening? Because the you know, that, to me, I, I mentioned that you know, hey. We got a guy that can help us out. Let's improve our team. So what other signings before camp could you envision that could help improve the team, maybe more so than, eh, let's just bring in bodies? Right. So one thing we should mention is that the season doesn't start till September. So if they don't do anything by the start of training camp, don't worry about it. It's not like they don't know that they have issues on the roster. Not many now because they've addressed them. Uh, running back is one we, you know, at the time we – we're looking at the, the roster situation. We said corner, running back, and safety are ones that, if it's not the start of training camp, we expect them to dress by time the season starts. I would still say that. Running back, look, they could certainly start the season now and be okay with Sanders, Gainwell, and Scott. But, but Sanders has an injury history. You can't depend on him to play a full season. Gainwell, we've said uh, since he was drafted, the coaches really like this guy. We expect his role to grow. Boston Scott's back. He's got over a million dollars in fully guaranteed money. He'll, he'll definitely be on the roster. But you'd like to have – Mosher made a very good point. Jeff said that, you know, the, the thing with, with uh, Jordan Howard is 
not only do you not need to sign him now, you could sign him anytime you want. And remember, they cut him, though he certainly should have been on the roster, but mm-hmm. the Eagles played you know, the roster tango where they knew that he could go on the, the – uh, he could go on the, on the practice squad. Remember, vested veterans do not have to be put through waivers. So what the Eagles did is they told him to be ready. We'll put you on the practice squad. He got ready, and they used it when they needed him. So they don't need to do anything by start of training camp. That doesn't matter for running back. Running back is the most fungible position. You, you can pick up on whatever you want. It's the one position, Mike, in free agency right now. There's so many guys out there with size, David Johnson and others. They don't need to do anything now. But I, I – I just unless Kennedy Brooks tears it up in training camp, I would expect him to add somebody by the start of the season. Okay, uh, all right, here we are. We're on the first day of summer today. Adam Kaplan, Eagles roster. How's it shape up against the NFC East teams? Yeah, someone asked me this on Twitter like a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was really good. So uh, now we didn't know about the, um, the the signing of the the safety. We didn't know which we we had heard they were going to sign a safety. We just didn't know which one. Uh, but I will tell you also, I, I'll add to that, Tukwaski Tar is by far, was by far the best guy out there. So he feels a need. So if you're just comparing the other three teams, not, the Eagles have a, a better roster than the Giants. It's, it's not close. Washington is, is better than them at certain spots, but, you know, people want to say how great the, the, the Washington defensive line is. Yeah, sure. They have four former, def- uh, four former first round picks, Mike. But they've underachieved last year. Chase Young also tore his ACL. They still they have a lot of talent in their D line, no question about it. Certain positions, Washington is better than the Eagles in. Eagles are way better on the offensive line. The Eagles have the best offensive line in football. The Eagles have better depth now and talent at wide receiver. Uh, the, the Washington and the Eagles are shaky at tight end. Other than obviously, the Eagles are great with Goddard, but their depth is shaky. That's another position, by the way, that they could address at some point. We'll see. Uh, we have to see how Wentz could revive his career. I would take the Eagles roster and Dallas. It's very close between the two. Obviously, they're better at quarterback. That's not in question. Uh, they are better at running back. There's no doubt about that. The Eagles are now comparable, if not better, than Dallas at wide receiver. Eagles' defensive line is better. It's, it's, they've got a better depth. Clearly, Dallas, though the Eagles are, have improved at linebacker, Dallas is definitely better. There's no question about that. Dallas, you could say they're deeper at corner, but you know what? I don't know if they're better. I'm taking the Eagles roster, and I'm not a homer. People know that. People think I'm a lot, very negative with the Eagles. I'm not. I'm just a truth teller based on the information I'm, I'm given and plus my own opinion. But it's based more on people who work in the National Football League, which is the way we built the show. Uh, the, I would take the Eagles roster right now over Dallas. I mean, and that's just the way I see it. All right. Well, uh, we will see it all unfold. Last one for Adam Kaplan here uh, in the NFL. We had some big news. Gronk has made his decision. He's going to retire for the second time here. I wonder if that's going to stick. Maybe he comes <laughs> back again. But Gronkowski retires again. Yeah, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm slightly surprised by this. Now, I understand he's had major injury problems, back surgeries, and broken form, and what have you. And as you said, he retired once. I thought this would be a one-year situation for him to come back, but he's not going to do it. This does impact him a little bit. Now, they, they, they did address the position with Kate Otten, uh, who was a fourth-round pick, and uh, Kaft, who was a sixth-round pick at tight end. And they have Cameron Braid, who's a veteran, well into his 30s. Good football player, though. But this does impact him a little bit. Remember, Chris Godwin... Their star slot receivers come back from ACL reconstruction. That's why they brought in Russell Gage, who will play on the outside. But this, this, this does impact them. 
because Godwin's come back with major injury. You don't have Gronk. That does worry me a little bit, their offense, but it's not changing up the, the NFC South winner. Tampa Bay will win it. I'm a little bit, though, concerned. You're taking a big-time pass target away from Brady, but it won't impact them their ability to win, win the NFC South. All right, uh, so Gronk, maybe we'll see him back on uh, Monday Night Raw. Oh, yeah, you know, that's right. I forgot he did that, yeah. I, I'm very curious to what he's going to do with his career and his life <laughs> now that he's done with football because he he's on every other he, commercial on television. I know, I know. Look, he's made a lot of money, no doubt about it, but he'll be great in television if he wants to do it. Yeah, Well, maybe Friday Night SmackDown. That's on Fox, so they probably already have a built-in relationship there. Jump, jump off the top rope. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> All right, Adam Kaplan, Football and 4. Check out Inside the Birds podcast dropping Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And we'll, of course, Friday back with Adam here on Football and 4. Thanks, bud. Thank you. All right, Adam Kaplan, uh, there you go. And by the way, some more NFL news uh, before we get into today's headlines. Uh, this Deshaun Watson story has certainly taken a interesting turn today. Uh, so Deshaun Watson, we're all kind of waiting to see where this thing is going, right? Whether or not uh, he's going to be suspended, whether or not he's going to um, have any of these allegations against him um, dropped or anything, what, what the lawsuits are going to happen in this situation. Well, we do have some news on that today in the NFL where the Cleveland Browns quarterback so obviously Watson signed that huge deal. Everybody uh you know was kind of surprised about the deal and the trade. His attorney Tony Busby said all but four of the lawsuits against the quarterback have now been settled. Now he has represented dozens of women who are bringing sexual assault charges against Watson. There's 24 in all. Busby said that attorneys are, quote, working through paperwork related to the four outstanding suits against Watson and could be still up for a lengthy suspension here. But he indicated that the other four lawsuits will eventually be settled, adding that the terms of the settlements with Watson would remain confidential. It's a big turning point in this whole saga. And I guess there's questions on whether he could play for the Browns with the lawsuits pending and all these settlements out there. So I think this is a very interesting turn for the whole Cleveland quarterback situation. The two biggest variables to me, Mike, are number one, Watson previously said he wasn't going to settle. He was going to fight this to clear his name. Obviously, that's changed for for whatever reason. We don't know all the details yet. But I'm sure that there was something going on in these lawsuits, detail or information-wise, that led him to change his mind on that. I'm wondering because there was a report, I think it was on, I want to say Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday of last week from uh, Pro Football Talk, that indicated there was a divide in the league office over what to do with Watson here, right? And I'm wondering if this divide, part of it was, listen, if you just settle this stuff and it's not hanging over you, that could help you out. I mean, that might have been part of the conversation for sure. But I will say that the league has an inconsistent precedent on these things because, you know, this is the, these are civil cases. These are not criminal charges. Well, we know in terms of criminal situations like Dante Stallworth goes to jail for 30 days for drinking, drinking and driving, killed somebody. 
gets suspended for a year. Kareem Hunt, no criminal charges, got suspended for eight games. Well, I think the whole uh, Ray Rice thing was bungled so badly that they don't want to be involved with stuff like this if they don't have to. And that's right. why I feel like the Florio thing is interesting, that there was this divide that possibly the league was concerned that maybe more cases could be filed. So if you just settle this and, and get it like the you know get it away from you, we could possibly be more lenient here. The other side of it is, you know, some of these women like actually Solis have done these interviews where they've given very. There was three on the what was it an HBO special or yeah the HBO Real Sports mm-hmm. it's called. Uh, Which I don't but, have HBO Max, so I couldn't see it. Well, th- some of the details are pretty disturbing mm-hmm. that they put. The whole story is disturbing. But I mean, some of the details are more disturbing than others. You know, like some of them are just like, all right, well, I kind of figured it would be that or this. But then some of the other details, are just like, oh, ooh, ah, like you get like you get like your your skin crawls when you hear some of it. So, you know, okay, twenty of the women settled, but the other four, Busby, is painting them as how brave they are and how you know they're they're also going through the process and doesn't it? Make well, he's you- also their attorneys. Right, but my my question is, doesn't it make you wonder, you know, why 20 sell but four haven't? Like, is there something else going on here that we don't know about? Possibly? Well, there was only, what, three or four that were a part of that HBO special. So right. it's obvious that a lot of these women did not want to be made public. That and also the fact that, you know, I've heard a lot of reports where they said that some of these women have had to leave their jobs. Because yeah, that's of what, what I'm happened. saying. So I think what happens in a lot of these cases, sadly, they just want it to be over with, right? They don't want to have that harassment linger, losing my job, people harassing me, saying things that, you know, I'm making things up. They don't want to deal with it. So they just basically say, I'll get out. And it's a shame. It's a shame that it's gotten to that point, but it feels like. It may have got to a point where, as, and that's one of the problems with these things, the way they linger and just take time and time. All this time allows for people to bully and harass. The other side of it is, there was a report recently that the Texans have been implicated in some of these suits as a quote-unquote co-conspirator because their security team... Help yeah. facilitate some of these things. Wouldn't be surprised. Then maybe the Texans go to the NFL, put pressure on Watson to sell this, get their name out of the news. Wouldn't be surprised. Not at all. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. That whole story, to, it is a sad, disturbing story uh, with this Deshaun Watson stuff. Thank, thankfully, it is in another city's uh, it's another city's problem. Uh, I was not a fan of the Eagles making a move for him with all of these lawsuits lingering. I certainly understood that it was a possibility, but the ongoing legal battle has taken a significant turn, and the Browns quarterback has settled 20 of the 24 lawsuits against him. Now, the lawyer, Busby, by the way, added that the details of the settlements will remain confidential. So, again, that kind of goes back to, I think they just said, I just want this to be over. Uh, more Sports Bash coming up. Today's headlines. PT's here. Sports Bash 
Don't forget, we're giving away a grill. Win Gill's Grill. I got a grill. I need to get rid of it. I want to give it to you. You want to win a free grill? Just download the app and enter on the app. It's simple dimple to do. I just need to get your name so I can call it out on Friday at 5. And if I call your name, you're winning. Gill's Grill on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the ESPN. All right, 427 bringing you back here on a Tuesday. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow we've got uh, Stanley Cup Game 4. 97.3 ESPN's coverage starts at 7.30. Tampa and Colorado. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Henning's my producer, and we got today's headlines for you. I'm going to pair two stories together here. They're both golf-related. We talked about the live golf a little earlier. Let's get into that a little bit here. So Brooks Kepka, according to reports, after he previously said, Oh, I'm not thinking about that bleep. Last week, this week apparently, he's going to be going to the Live Golf Tour following his brother Chase Kepka over there. Also, apparently, his BFF, Dustin Johnson, as well. So, it seems like Kepka is the latest PGA Tour defector. Well, in response to what is being described as the Live Golf threat, I'm reading that from the article. That was not my words. The PGA Tour hopes to introduce a revamped schedule. Like what? Well, they want to increase purse worth by at least $20 million in at least eight existing marquee events and three new events in a global golf series that will include no cuts, limited fields, and purses of at least $25 million. So it sounds like the PGA Tour... Might be trying to duplicate the Live Golf schedule. The PGA Tour wants to change their schedule with the players' approval for starting next season. They want to change it from a schedule that is built year-round to a more traditional calendar schedule. If you remember, or may not remember, I'm sure PT remembers. PT says, oh, I remember this. Basically, the PGA currently has a schedule that players aren't happy with because there really is no offseason. Yeah, basically have to be playing throughout the year to qualify for the FedEx Cup rankings to win the big prize at the end of the year. The PGA Tour is trying to change the schedule to be more appealing to the players so they have more off-time or a more traditional off-season. That including increasing purse sizes, according to this report, they believe is a way to negotiate the players to keep them on the tour. The increased purses would constitute for tournaments such as the Century Tournament Champions, the Genesis Invitational, Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Players' Championship, the Memorial Tournament, and others. Sources have told ESPN that the increased purses would be paid from sponsors or the tour's reserves. See, this is all, like, see... The PGA Tour is a 501c. That's correct. It is a charitable organization. Right. A lot of they sports... are a not-for-profit organization. Yes, there were a bunch of sports leagues that did this originally to avoid the monopoly laws. So their theory was that they would say, well, we're giving most of our money away to charity. That's why you can't tax us. Correct. The PGA Tour was put together as a charity tour before television deals, Tiger Woods, 
and all these things came to fruition. Right. This is essentially, and I was talking about this earlier, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter and somebody kind of challenged me on this. And I said, this is essentially like a mom and pop store trying to hold off the big box conglomerate. Right? And he said um, that his response to that was not even close. Calling a billion-dollar organization like the PGA a mom-and-pop is laughable, like calling the NCA a mom-and-pop completely inaccurate. The difference is this. They bring in a billion dollars, yes. But a large portion of what they bring in is also redonated to charitable organizations. They donate over $100 million in charity stuff. Yeah, even though they're grossing billions of dollars, they're not netting billions of dollars. No, so they are not... Put it this way. As the organization is set up the way it is, it's a 501c, they cannot give anybody special treatment in terms of we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. You can't treat one more special than others. Whereas on the live tour, I can say, hey, you're Tiger Woods. You want nine figures? Right. You are Brooks Kepgood. You want, you know, eight figures? You can't do that on the PGA tour. They don't really have. Now, I could be completely wrong about this, but my understanding is, you know, the way they are set up, it's not set up to be like that. No, it's not. They basically want them to restructure the entire way that the organization is run. And look, it's been set up this way for years and years and years. And the problem is, is that in order for them to restructure, they may have to sacrifice some of their tax protections. And by the way, other leagues have had to do this as well. People forget that over the years, leagues like Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL have had to change their tax structures with the evolving environment that is the billions of dollars they were making. Yeah, I, I this isn't going away. Liv's going to win this in some way, shape, or form because money wins out. That's the way it comes down. Sad to say, money wins, right? It usually does. So Liv's going to win. Unless somebody you know implodes a league because they want to be the biggest guy in the spotlight. I just don't see a way that unless they change the way that their organization is set up, where they can say, okay, Rory McIlroy, you're our guy. We're going to pay you, you know, $10 million. Other than that, outside of that, giving these guys guaranteed uh, dollars. Now you said they're going to restructure to have no cuts and... Well, they're talking about certain tournaments not having cuts. According to this ESPN story, certain tournaments would potentially not have a cut line. That everyone would just play through the whole weekend. Now, it doesn't mean that that guy who's plus 11 is going to make any more money. But maybe the theory is that, you know, they'll give more guys playing time throughout the weekend. Because remember, the reason why Live Golf Tour has no cut is because the dude who finishes in last still makes some money. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how the PGA Tour is going to financially make that work if they want to have, you know, the the Travelers or the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Genesis Open, have a $25 million purse 
What are you going to do? Have the guy who wins it only win two million? Because got to make sure the guy who finishes hundredth gets a piece of the pie. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I just feel like I, I will also say this. Here's the problem. I think the live is unsustainable. But can they outlast the PGA to make it sustainable? That's what you're up against. Here. That's the biggest question because they got to get some eyeballs on that live consistently mm-hmm. to be able to make it work. You know, you can't just have the Saudi money out there backing the whole time. You got to get the money from somewhere else. That's the one thing the PGA has that live doesn't. They've got Titleist and they've got all these companies already locked into these contracts for these tournaments. Yeah, I will live get a TV deal. I don't know that they can be sustainable without a TV deal. They have to have a TV deal. Do they get a streaming service deal? Can they get Apple Plus? Can they get Amazon Amazon Prime? Can they get something like that? So I'm not even saying it has to be on regular television. No, but it has to be money that you can guarantee is there week in and week out. Sure. Like, they have to have a streaming service or a network or a cable company pay them to air their product on their channel or network or streaming service. And I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, apparently they were... They were offering Fox to pay Fox to carry them. That's a tough way to go about it. That's a very tough way. You know, but my theory is this, Mike. If the MLS got billions of dollars to go to Apple TV Plus, you're telling me the Live Golf can't get something? Um, I mean, the MLS is not even like the number one or two watch soccer league in the world. Or maybe, what, fourth? Fifth? Tough one. Until that happens, I, I'm out on the uh, live. Well, speaking of streaming services, I got a little news I want to bring up to you. So it looks like the Amazon Prime Thursday night studio cast is set. Who's this? The Amazon Prime Thursday night football studio cast. Gotcha. Okay. Studio cast. This is not a studio show it's a studio show for pre halftime and post game okay so Ryan Fitzpatrick will be joining the group as an analyst as it was announced today Fitzpatrick and his post football life will be joining Richard Sherman and Tony Gonzalez on the studio cast they will be anchored by Fox Sports's Carissa Thompson she will host Amazon's coverage from the studio while Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit call the games from the booth. So you're going to have three former players in the studio with Carissa Thompson for Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football studio cast. I asked this question as I did the last time we kind of discussed this. Are they going to people turn on the app early to watch studio show. I don't know that they will. How many people actually watch pregame shows anymore? Not many. Or I don't all that much. I mean, I usually on a Sunday will turn on NFL Countdown. And then at 1 o'clock, when it's time to go to the Eagles game, I turn on the Eagles game. So I do a similar thing. I, I usually have either NFL Game Day Morning or NFL Network or I have the Fantasy Focus show on ESPN2 on. I haven't. I very rarely watch the other shows. Now, part of it is just because I. It's my routine at this point. Like maybe, maybe I would 
Bennett from, from Learning for one of those shows. But the only reason I tune into them sometimes is because the show I might be watching goes to commercial break or they have a topic coming up on my interested in. But I don't regularly tune into Fox or CBS. Not the pregame shows, no. Me neither. I'm generally watching ESPN up until 1 o'clock and then I make that switch. So I wonder how many people are like you. They don't even care who the pregame is. I will say this. Is. The only reason I tuned into that pregame show for baseball the other day is because I thought the game started at 1130. And here I did start till noon, so I got stuck watching. I didn't really have to, but I mean, for a half an hour, that's the other problem. Now the stream is on. I'm not going to turn it off. I got the stream on. Right. That's that's where they sucker you in. So now you're stuck. So is that maybe what Amazon's hoping for, that people would just tune on and leave it on no matter what? I guess if you're saying, hey, the game's at 8.30, hey, coverage starts at 8, people say, hey, 8 o'clock, the game's on. And you got that. Hmm? I don't think it's going to push enough people's pile. You have any interest in who this, any of the guys, any of them intrigue you at all? Who's it, Fitzpatrick? So it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, Richard Sherman, and Tony Gonzalez are the three former Gonzalez players. was already on CBS. He was as bland and boring as you can get. And then Carissa Thompson is going to be the She anchor. does a nice job on Fox. I mean, she does a good on, job. Uh, Richard Sherman. Yeah. I like Sherman because I think he's a very well thought out guy. Fitzpatrick is probably there in almost the, uh, the Terry Bradshaw way, role. None of them is making me be like, man, I got to check this out. It's not like Charles Barkley, right? right? I mean, really, any of these shows, the only guy you're saying I got to tune in for to hear what they say is inside the NBA with Barkley. 100%. You want to see what Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny, not as much Kenny, but Barkley and Shaq have to say, and you want to see how... Ernie handles the volleys back and forth. That's it. Other than that, I would imagine that uh, most people are not, I don't know, tuning in for, like even the ESPN NBA pregame show, Stephen A., Will Bond, Jalen Rose. Greeny. You turning in for that? Not really. Doesn't do much for me. So if I'm Amazon, I'm probably saving my money. (laughs) That's the way I look at it. Well, Jeff Bezos has money to spend. He's trying to get it out of space. Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> what do you do with your money? Oh, I'm I'm buying Thursday night football and trying to fly to outer space. All right. Yeah. That's Jeff Bezos for you. But yeah, that's the news. Ryan Fitzpatrick is joining the Amazon. Well, that was studio. reported last week. Well, he confirmed it today. Yeah. I sent you some audio earlier about the Gronk retirement. Did you get that? I did. You want me to open that? I think it's hilarious because so he was on Fox. You think it's hilarious. You I think, think everything's hilarious. I think everything. the I think the uh the the the, the bar of what's hilarious here is going to be found out here. Let's find out if we think this is hilarious. Or this not. is Gronk's explanation for his first retirement. His explanation for his first retirement. All right. So this is Gronk's explanation for his first retirement. Let's see what Gronkowski says. Uh, well, now, when was this? This was back when he was in the studio with Fox, it looks Correct. like. Okay. I'm trying to get... Uh, there we go. We'll get this loaded up. Got a bad hairdo, a bad turtleneck. I mean, what's he wearing there? 
I did have a career-altering trade, almost a career-altering trade, and it was about two years ago. I was actually traded to the Detroit Lions, and I called up, and I got the phone call, and this was, I was contemplating if I should retire or not about two years ago, and I was like, you just traded me to the Lions. I go, oh, I'm retired. Like, I don't know how that trade can go through, and then two days later, the trade never went through. Can you believe that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, they're going to trade yeah. you? Yeah, I got traded. I what told that story wrong? before last I never year. heard that. Yeah, and I, then I was like, oh, no, I'm retired. How can you trade me? <laughs> and I stayed on the Patriots. For the best NFL. that's funny. Right? Is it true? Did he just make that up? He claims it's true. No How's one's, that ever, no one's not ever not, you know, no one's ever like, you know, reported that it wasn't true, but I never heard it before. I didn't hear it till today either. I didn't remember that conversation happening, but yeah. So Apparently, Gronk, the reason why he retired the first time was because they tried to trade him to Detroit. Yeah. I, I had never heard that story before. But the way that he presented it, he just started. It was almost like he, I don't care if I'm making this up or not. I'm just going to make it up and see what you guys think. Yeah. And then his cackling at the end is just like, you know, it was it was almost like a uh, Austin Powers villain moment. Yeah. Where he's just like laughing. Uh, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It was. Uh, and then the rest of the, the panel is almost like, I don't know if this is true, but the way he's laughing at this, uh, I might as well. Right. Know. So I I wanted to share that with you. That was pretty the good. Audience. That one was funny. You're I welcome. Give, I will give that uh, two points for funny. You'll give me the thumbs up. Yes. All right. Well, like, um, I, like normally, like I'm trying to see if they were only laughing because he was laughing. So you feel like, well, this guy's laughing. I guess I have to laugh. To me, the cackle that he has, at right? The no, end I think is that puts it over the top. Yeah, no, I think that they were like kind of looking at like, is this guy serious about this? And the, the way that he was just like, yeah, like that's what happened. They were like, are you kidding me? It's like, I pulled a fast one on them. <laughs> I wasn't going to Detroit. There's <laughs> no way, exactly. All right, uh, Sports Fast Live, ninety-seven-three ESPN. Um, I had the. Did you watch last night in the Charles Barkley on the Stanley Cup? He was on the uh, pregame show. Was it the pregame or between periods? I don't remember. I thought it was the first intermission. intermission. Yeah, it was the intermission report. He said that he called Gary Bettman to get tickets yeah, for the game. Yeah, he said he was sitting around with nothing to do, and he called Gary Bettman so I want to go to the I mean, Even Barkley's good on the hockey. I mean, that guy's great no matter what he does. Like, and when, he, like when he talks to the guys during the... Um, the challenge. The video the of the Pirates uh, grounds crew chasing the, tra- chasing the squirrel around was great. I mean, did you, did you see that net? Yeah. The, the holes in that net are bigger than the squirrel. It was ridiculous. Like, what are you guys doing? And it always feels like every time something like that happens, they are so unprepared. They're always unprepared. Chasing a cat around or... It's time a squirrel. All right, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. PT at 5, Tuesday with Thompson. <laughs> uh, Scott Laughlin is going to talk a little hockey tonight. Stanley Cup, Flyers. That's at 620 on game night. I'm Mike Hill. Now, back to Morse on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Don't forget, Phil's out west tonight. It's an 8 o'clock start. Philly's in the uh, Rangers. It's like, um... Like, the Rangers are a Dallas team. 
right? People don't really realize that. Yeah, they're in they're in that, that Metroplex region. Dallas, Fort Worth. Arlington, Irvin, Texas. Yeah, the stadiums are essentially right next to each other. The yeah. old one, I don't know where the new Ranger, I imagine it's in the same spot. It's in the same area, yeah. It's not the same exact spot, but they they didn't place it too much too far away. Because I was at the old stadium, which wasn't all that old. Yeah, the new one has a dome and all that fancy stuff. Well, I feel like everybody hates the Cowboys or everybody loves the Cowboys. Does anybody like the Rangers? You know, I I <laughs> when I was younger, I really wanted to watch Ranger games because of who was on the team in the mid nineties. Because you had Juan Gonzalez and Dean Palmer and Yvonne Rodriguez. And you had, um, who was one pitcher? Kevin Brown, Roger Pavlik. They had a little run there. But I'm saying, like, you know how people became Cowboys fans. I feel like the Rangers, nobody associates them with Dallas. Well, they never won anything. But it's even the fact that nobody associates them as, like, they are Dallas's baseball team. They're Texas's baseball team. Mike, come on. Well, you got Houston, right? <laughs> well, Houston's down south. Uh-huh. Rangers got the rest of the state, I guess. <laughs> it's like the California Angels. Is there a more nondescript baseball team than the Texas Rangers of the Dallas-Fort Worth market? It's very odd that you have a football team, and quite frankly, the basketball team is similar that nobody cares. I now, think they're more coming around a little the Mavs bit. And the Rangers. They're coming around a little bit because they have Luca. Well, they had Dirk for years too. True, but even with them, with Dirk, it didn't feel like people like them. They're not like I don't know. I get it. They're the Dallas Cowboys. They're America's team. They're this. They're that. They haven't been good in thirty years. The but, football state, though. Yeah, but this is the this is a Philadelphia Dallas matchup tonight. No juice. It's Philadelphia, Texas, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, John Tortorella said that the Flyers captain will not be chosen until he gets to know the players more. Ooh. You like that? Yeah, sure. Why not? You got a new coach? Come in. You name your captain. You don't let the captain be named for you. That would be a little silly, yeah. Cam Atkinson, uh, Couturier, Scotty Lawton, maybe Hayes. I don't know. I can see definitely Hayes, Couturier, Atkinson. Um, no Couturier? I said Couturier. Oh. I said Hayes, Couturier, Atkinson. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe there's someone that gets added this offseason that gets you know one of the assistant captain slots. Yeah. Um, the... you know, I was going to say, Ristolainen was an assistant captain in Buffalo previously. Ah, oh, yeah, he's not going to be the captain. Assistant, maybe. Barely made an impact. Barely played last year. Yeah, he played some. I mean, you put Ellis in there, he didn't play at all. <laughs> you uh, find the guy who played the least? What's that? You say, what are you finding the guy that played the least? Oh, Rissa Lina played way more than Ellis did. Uh, Bryce Harper leads nationally all-star balloting with that DH. That for the first time ever. There's a discussion about how the all-star game needs to evolve in terms of the way their voting works. Because you got guys listed at certain positions and they don't play that position all the time. Yeah, it's probably. Looks like a utility player. Mm-hmm. Um, guy from St. Louis. Apparently has the highest war in the league. But he's listed at shortstop, so he's fourth in the shortstop voting. But he's only played half his games at shortstop. 
Buck Showalter says they got to make a super utility player. You down for that? Yeah, I think so. Ben Zerbris? He's the only one that anyone can name. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, Sports Bash live on your Tuesday. Phil's back tonight. We'll get the lineup between now and then. We'll get that out to you. To Tuesday with Thompson to PT's here. Don't forget to listen on Friday for a happy hour Friday at 5 o'clock. I'm giving away Gill's Grill. I'm giving away a grill. Listen for your chance to win a grill. All you got to do is download the app and enter through the app. I'll read out the name at 5 o'clock during happy hour Friday with PT. And then all you need to do is say, I heard my name. Where's my grill? And you'll get a free grill thanks to the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. All right, it's a Tuesday with Thompson. The PT's here. Hi, Pete. Hi, Mike. How are you? Doing good. It's a uh, Tuesday here, but uh, saw you over the weekend. Uh, I was glad to hear that you made it on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's funny. Uh, I sometimes do wonder if I'm not a grown child, right? I mean, And then you put me and Billy together and... We're like preschoolers. I mean, I'm 51. He's 60. That's 111 years between us if you added it up. And neither one of us can make a good decision. But we were there Sunday. We did our show. You did not have to leave your omelet. I'm happy about that. <laughs> we actually had a very entertaining show. I enjoyed that, too. You know, it's all yeah. good. Well, it was good to see you guys. Thanks for coming out to the event. Uh, the event was a great hit. I mean, it was packed all day. We raised a lot of money. Uh, and I think uh, you guys uh, uh, added to the money that we raised. So that was good. Uh, I I know I did. I love doing that stuff, man. Uh, dropping the tickets in and seeing if they're at, I think I think my streak is over. I, I finally I won something. Did you? you? Know? So I was very I was very excited to be hauling something out of there. I now, didn't. What did you win? I want a cooler, an igloo cooler. I did not know that. Yes. But I don't, you know, I'm, the beverages are going to have to be like high C and Gatorade <laughs> to keep it instead of anything else. All right. Well, uh, good to uh, see you guys out there. And you guys got after it a little bit. It was a fun day. A lot of familiar faces, a lot of people. It was uh, it was a great event. Now, uh, did you hit the links yesterday, it looks like? I did. I mean, I got the call. I, I got to tell you, my brother uh, and sister-in-law have played in the Flyers Alumni Golf Invitational for probably, I want to say somewhere like six to eight years now. Uh, it's it's on par, Mike Gill, with the ShopRite LPGA Pro-Am in that it is A, very pricey, B, sells out quick, C, everybody wants to be a part of it and get in it. It's hard to get in. Uh, and my sister-in-law wasn't able to play, so he uh, went to the bullpen, called in the PT, and I got to play. And it was, ooh, 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 it was real respectable-like. Nice. Well, I um, was funny because uh, somebody uh, somebody uh, asked me when, uh, you know, if I wanted to play golf. And I was like, you know, I, I've only played, the one time I played the whole year was... Um, Right. In the media day, that's it. Now, normally I would have played in the Pro-Am, but I didn't play in the Pro-Am this year. So I don't know when I'm going to get another uh, day on the links. 
Well, I'm sure I can invite you somewhere to go play uh, on the right budget, too. I, mean, I know that's a factor in your decision and mine as well. You know, people are always like, hey, do you want to play golf? And I'm like, hey, do I have to pay? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> if I'm being, I, it's the reality of what it is, you know. So, I mean, not for nothing, but you're right. I got to play at the prestigious DuPont Country Club yesterday. Don Selesky was our pro, but a lot of the Flyers guys were there. I was optimistic that there'd be a chance that uh, Torts would be there because I think he had a media availability this morning uh, in like in person, you know, like in Philly, not on Zoom or anything like that. And I thought maybe he'd be there. He was not. However, the chance to just, you know, there's so many ex-flyers that show up at this thing and, you know, you get there and registration's like nine or ten and you're you're not quite awake yet. I'm sort of wandering around and all the alumni wear the same shirt. And so, like, you know, I see I see Paul Holmgren. Okay, I know who that is. I see Dave Schultz. I know who that is. I see Joe Watson. I know who that is, the hockey player, not the casino executive. And uh, I have to say that all the time, you know. And uh, But then there's a gentleman standing there, and he's kind of, like, making, you know, a face at me. And I said, hi, I'm Pete Thompson. He says, hi, I'm John Stevens. Don't. That's funny you say that. <laughs> so, Someone just texted me and said that they were at John Stevens' house the other day. I believe that. He's got a place in Seattle. He brought the Stanley Cup to Seattle at one point in time. So, I mean, you know, there's people I recognize, like uh, Todd Fedoric, I'll fridge, you know, he's a, he, it's funny. Um, Don Selesky was our pro, and as Co oh, and Coatsy did the emceeing, like there was uh, regular stuff like in the bags where you drop the tickets in, and then he was doing the live auction items as well, right? And so as he got to like the second to last one, Selesky's like, all right, let's go find the food. Where's the food? So, like, we went to, like, sort of be first in line to go get the buffet. And as we went, there was two rooms with food. Fridge was already, like, in the hallway quietly eating his own plate of food. He beat us. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, that's a little surprising. Although, um, you know, these golf events, man, it, it's most people are sometimes only sign up for the food. Well, this one was, I mean, and here's the deal is uh, they had two 18s down there. So every, you know, you had, and he had two groups on every hole. So that's uh, 72 groups, right? 72. And it's a, uh, it's unlike, it's like the shop, right? It's, you have a foursome of golfers and you have a former flyer or someone tied to the program that you play with. And um, actually my brother had asked me to try and find a replacement sort of last minute. So I texted Tommy Green and said, hey, Tita Green, you know, my brother's looking for a good golfer to join our group. Can you play? And he goes, oh, I've already played it. I'll see you there. Ah. So, so it was uh, I had to make a few calls to try and find a, an accurate, you know, you should have called, called the guy that you went to the concert with. Uh, you know, but you know what he? Uh, yeah, I don't know how his golf game is. I know that he and I could go beverage for beverage or you didn't know he, he was a Coldplay fan. You still called him. <laughs> he took me up. We're getting to be friends now, man. Mike Carlin. Uh, he went to the Yale House in Lafayette Hill based off of my recommendation. So I feel like, uh, you know, we're thick as thieves. Speaking of the golf, PT, this story's getting more interesting. Brooks Kepka has decided yeah. he is now a live golfer. He is off the PGA Tour, PT. After last week, he said that you guys are making too big of a deal out of this. Right. And then it's getting so crazy that Colin Morikawa who's been rumored to go had to come out and say no 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 I'm 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 not going anywhere. I mean this uh this live golf tour and you know first of all you don't think that the PGA tour and slash the uh USGA were thrilled that everybody that had live ties 
stunk in the U.S. Open. Like, Phil Mickelson was terrible. Uh, who else was bad? Uh, Patrick Reed was not good. DJ, you know, the, there, there wasn't anybody that really lit it up who had played in the Live Tour at the U.S. Open. So uh, this Kepka thing, yeah, you know, the one thing my brother texted me today, he says, Oh, I said, Brooks Kepka, what do you think? Because I never really liked him anyway. And then he sent a second text and said, are he and Bryson DeChambeau going to resume their fake feud? <laughs> like that? That's Because well, you're a wrestling guy. There was like speculation of were they, did they really not like each other or were they just trying to like be yeah. theatrical? Well, and that's the whole thing. I don't know. And we kind of hit on this when we were at the LPGA that day. But now that Kepka has made the jump here. I find this whole thing fascinating. I really do. But I just don't know, and you might be able to answer this better than me, but I just don't know outside of Tiger Woods if there's any golfer on the PGA Tour that could jump that would make a, a insurmountable difference, that would even make an impact. Right, and that's the thing is that people are resistant to change. There's more Billy Shrimes and Pete Thompsons in the world than there are, you know, forward-thinking people out there. And and quite frankly, like, you're coming off of a Father's Day U.S. Open situation where uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick had to make an unbelievable shot out of the bunker on 18 to capture the drama, to get that moment, right? You're not going to have some unbelievable bunker shot on 18 when you're only playing 54 holes in this whole. I don't even. I don't understand the format yet. Quite frankly, the only thing I understand about the Live Tour is that they're backing up the Brinks truck and it's boatloads of cash, and it's definitely all about the money. That's really the only thing I understand about the Live Tour is that money talks and you know what walks, and the people are walking to the Live Tour because the money is being the money they're offering is incredible. They said they offered Tiger. Nine figures. So that's a B, right? That's a billion with a B. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that's what I say. Like, here, like, I was trying to say this earlier, and somebody kind of went after me on Twitter about this. I said... Shocking. The, <laughs> well, I, um, well, it wasn't a, an egg. It wasn't, a, uh, a like, a nameless, faceless person, at least. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. But, so, the point that he made was remember the PGA are the bad guys in this scenario, not live golf. There's a reason why these golfers are leaving, okay? Mm -hmm. So he's essentially saying that the PGA Tour, they're at fault. They're the bad guys here. To which I said, the PGA Tour aren't the bad guys. Think of it as a, it's a mom and pop store versus a big box conglomerate. That's essentially what's happening here. The PGA Tour is a 501c. They're a charitable organization. Now, they bring in a ton of money, but it's set up before TV deals and Tiger Woods and all this stuff. So a lot of the money that they bring in, they give back out to charity. They are yeah. not set up in a way to say, Tiger Woods, you're going to get more money than the 400th guy on the tour, right? It's not supposed to be set up that way. The Live Golf is saying, Tiger Woods, you're better than the 200th guy. We're going to pay you more. That's right. not the that's form. That's not the, that's not the format or the formula for the PGA. They're saying you make money based on how you perform, not on how big your name is. Yeah. Now there's no doubt though that I will say this, at least in the beginning, the Live Tour is just guaranteeing so much money up front to get, to get people to jump that it almost doesn't have to do with ability per se. Like, you know, Kevin Na is getting 
money like he's never been offered before. You know what I mean? Like, even I understand that we like to go to Tiger or Phil or Sergio Garcia, but, you know, a guy like Taylor Gooch, okay? Have you ever heard the name Taylor Gooch before, Mike Gill? He's a professional golfer that jumped the live tour. Why? Because it's the money. And the reality is that if you stop and think about it, the PGA Tour, you know, the ones that are frowning their nose at this live tour for trying to create something new and be different. The PGA Tour was something new and different. The PGA of America was basically club pros. They were the guys at Seaview, at Harbor Pines, at Twisted Dune, and all these golf courses around here, at Great Bay Country Club. You know, if you ever asked somebody who's a director of golf or a PGA professional, you know, hey, how much golf do you get to play? The joke always among uh, true, like the real lunch pail golfers is, oh, I sell golf shirts out of the pro shop. You know, those are the go- <laughs> those are the guys. That was what the tour was founded on. And it was the Nicholas's, the Arnold Palmer's, the those guys that wanted to create a level above that. Well, now all of a sudden the PGA Tour is turning their nose up at live simply because they're trying to create something different or change the paradigm. And uh, I'm not even bringing the politics in or any of the fact that the Saudis or any of that. I'm just saying that, you know, the people that are so upset, and that's the PGA Tour, you know, and they talk about legacy and all this. Really, all the Live Tour is trying to do is what the PGA Tour did back in, what, late 60s, early 70s, when it, it fully came into fruition of what the PGA Tour became. Yeah, well, listen... I think you're going to see more and more go over, right? I mean, that's just inevitable, that more and more are going to start defecting over there. I don't know that that's going to have any impact either side, though. Do you? Do you think it's going to impact you watching on CBS on a Sunday afternoon? No, but the impact is that the PGA Tour, and that story came out today, they're going to add eight $20 million tournaments. So all of a sudden, like, you know, like it or hate it, live golf has had an effect on the PGA Tour in the fact that they're going, you know what, we better step up some money for some of these purses or else they're all going to keep going. So that story came out today. I mean, it's like it's basically their rebuttal. You know, Live Golf is saying they're going to have $25 million tournaments next year, $20 million to the individuals, $5 million to the teams. The PGA Tour comes back and says, well, we're going to add eight $20 million events for 2023. And that's where, like, the week of the ShopRite LPGA was also the uh, uh, RBC up in Canada, right? You know, or, I mean, if you've even casually watched golf over your life, you know that the BC Open in Endicott, New York, is doesn't have the same purse as the PGA Championship. You know that, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to think of these obscure tournaments, the, uh, the John Deere Classic out in Wisconsin doesn't have the same size purse. Well, the Live Tour saying, we're going to make all these purses gigantic. Come to us, come to us, and we'll make it great. Yeah, but they don't necessarily have it all fully formed out well and, and then the only question i have is it pennywise what's the what's it pennywise something foolish what is it pound foolish i think so i mean the one i well as soon as you say pet first of all you said pennywise so i'm thinking of that stupid clown from the, the it movie right you're scaring the bleep out of me secondly <laughs> a penny saved is a penny earned is the first one that, that comes to, and that's ben franklin so now you're going to get me to quote because you're going to pull this out of the ether no it's me. pennywise pound foolish Okay, yeah, that's, that's just not one that, that I've ever used. Oh, okay. Well, so my the, the point with that is, yes, on the beginning stages here, they mm-hmm. are looking attractive. 
My question is, are you getting in now and getting the, the early returns, but is it sustainable? Right. Yeah. If they I, don't, I don't get a television deal, yeah. if they're if they're yeah. three years down the road and they're still on YouTube, you know, right. apparently there's a report that they tried to pay Fox to air the golf for them and Fox wouldn't do it. Saw that. I saw that, that they were trying to reach out to them. And because, you know, uh, there's some people are coming back and saying, oh, there's a chance. You know, some people are out there saying, like, no, they're going to keep being on YouTube because Fox said no. But, yeah, the, the fact that. Look, well, at what you point think- do one of these. Well, at what point do one of these television networks or cable outlets say, pay us, we'll put you on? Well, not for nothing, but if they're offering silly money or what John Middleton called stupid money, right? If they're offering stupid money and what they're really, uh, the network's supposed to deliver is what the Peacock Network delivered, then take it. <laughs> I mean, there are people, I, there are a lot of people upset on this Monday and Tuesday, right, as we come off Father's Day weekend at how much golf was actually shown during the final round of the U.S. Open. I mean, I on Saturday, probably watched more of the U.S. Open. I watched a lot on Thursday, and I watched a lot on Saturday. And I am not, you know, exhibit A of most modern guy. I think you'd be more progressive in how you uh, absorb content than me. But I didn't have a problem going Peacock to USA Network to NBC, back to Peacock or whatever. I didn't have a problem with that. What I did see today, which I found interesting, was a side-by-side of how the Masters was doing it. And how it looked on Peacock. And this, well, let's say it was like this guy's man cave, right? And he had like a gigantic TV in the middle and he had like four TVs around it. One, two, three, four. Okay. And on those TVs, he was able to lend stream like the big TV would have the main feed. Then he'd have like the featured group. Then he'd have this just one hole. Then he'd have the, and the masters had so much more content offered than the U.S. Open. So much so that somebody directly went at Mike Wan, who used to be the LPGA Tour Commissioner on Twitter, Mm -hmm. and said, like, dude, this sucks. Change it, you know? And he responded, like, we're going to work on it. We're going to talk to our partner. You know, yeah, you know what that means. That's like when your parents tell you, we'll see. (laughs) Hey, can I get this? We'll see. (laughs) All right, PT, uh, I got the Philly starting lineup here. You all set? Yeah, read it to me. All right, here we go. Schwarber's leading off playing left field. Hoskins is at first base. No Harper today. Castellanos is in right field. No Harper. Real Muto hits fourth. He'll do the catching. D.D. Gregorius is at short. He hits fifth. Uh, Alec Bohm is at uh, the D.H. tonight. He hits sixth. Matt Veerling is in center field. He hits seventh. Camargo is back. He is at third base tonight. He hits eighth. And uh, Munoz is playing second base today, and he is hitting ninth. There's a left-handed pitcher, Perez, going uh, for the Texas, Martin Perez. So the lefties are out of the lineup, and the righties are in. That means Munoz at second, Veerling in center, and uh, Camargo's playing third tonight. No Bryce Harper. Maybe they're giving him an extra day because there's a tough lefty, or is he just not ready? And Kyle Gibson, by the way, does your pitching tonight for the Phils. Right. So Kyle Gibson, I mean, the no Harper thing, let's go with that first and foremost. The no Harper thing, I, there was a lot of optimism that he would be, especially with the day off yesterday, that he'd be able to come back. I didn't initially realize, like, I had heard blister or something with his finger, but I didn't hear, like, infected blister. And then I thought, like, oh, God, that's... And I saw a soundbite uh, with him 
uh, after, I guess, Sunday's game where some Jim Salisbury was asking him, you know, well, like, have you even swung a bat? And he was kind of looking at him like, no way, man. Like, you know, I swing a bat and this thing will open and I'll have a crater in my finger or something like that. So he just he just kind of looked at him. It must be worse than, you know, you and I think blister. We're like, well, you know, rub some dirt on it or put some tape on it or suck it up, right? But it must be bad enough that it's affecting uh, – his ability to return to the lineup tonight. Kyle Gibson's been good, four and two, right? I'm I'm okay with that, and uh, we'll see if. Uh, and Texas is not, you know, we're not talking about. Well, they uh, swept you the last time you played. That's true, and it's just a, it's only a two game series, isn't well, it? Two because game. then there was yep. San Diego later on in the week. I like that Carmar- Carmargo is back. Camargo, excuse me, and because uh, I saw that. They were getting so thin in the infield that they uh, were they tried to sign somebody or they did sign somebody, I thought, like a yeah. utility infielder guy to stash down at the minor league level and then call him up if needed. By the way, did you know on this day, PT, four years ago, uh, the Philly uh, Sixers, the Philadelphia 76ers made that trade of Bridges. They drafted Bridges and traded him for Zaire Smith in a first-round pick. Yeah, and how did that go over? Not so good so far. <laughs> Not so good. I mean, Zaire Smith because, had like yeah. a peanut allergy and, and uh, never never ended up playing. And that was it, right? I mean, I just remember that draft night because Bridges' mom worked for the organization, didn't he? I mean, or did. didn't she? And and there was just such excitement and she actually, joy. You know, she actually, uh, my girlfriend had interviewed for a job with the, the Sixers years ago. and right. She interviewed with Bridges' mother, Mrs. Bridges. Yeah, right. The mother. Right. I don't know that her name was Mrs. Bridges, but that's actually very possible. His mom. Yeah, that's that's a. I mean, I I think I read the same thing you did, which was Keith Pompey's excellent work, and you know he he sums it up right in the start: a disastrous draft day trade. Listen, that trade, that whole thing is the epitome of like. They had all those different general managers. They all had different mindsets and thoughts. Brett Brown had taken over as the GM, and they had that mindset of assets. We still need to collect assets. We'll trade Bridges. And if you remember, people thought it was Zaire Smith for Bridges that they wanted. That wasn't what Mm -hmm. they wanted. They wanted the draft pick that was attached to the trade. Because it was the Miami Heat pick, and people thought the Heat were on the way down. And if you got that pick, then it could have been a lottery pick. So they took the draft pick with Smith to get, uh, you know, for Bridges. They ended up using the draft pick to get Tobias Harris. Yeah, and I mean, Tobias Harris was a key part of a, a couple of Sixers runs. And, and you're right, by the way, her last name it was Ty, Tynesha. No, Tynia Rivers. So she was not Bridges. Tynia Rivers. But what's interesting is she had an office in their complex in Camden, and that's obviously where the Sixers practice and where Bridges worked out before the draft. So, I mean, all the signs are pointing that, you know, Mikhail Bridges was going to end up as a Sixer, and it's just another one of those, you know, look, there's a reason that Philly sports fans have such an inferiority complex and that super sensitive skin because you – if you grew up in this area, if you've been around this area long enough, you always think like, when is when are the and you can fill in the blank with any of the four organizations? When are the Eagles going to draft the right quarterback instead of who they 
God, ginger Jesus. When are the Flyers going to get the right pick instead of who they end up with? When are the Phillies going to bring in the right pitcher or the right bat? When are the Sixers, you know, and that's just that Philly mentality of can't we get anything right? Yeah, well, it was also uh, 30 years ago yesterday, Pete Thompson, that the Flyers made the trade for Eric Lindros. Would you do that trade again? I think you would, and, and you know it's funny because oh, oh man, I think you'd have to. Uh, he you, he was so dominant Forsberg. in juniors. He was so dominant. The guy was the. It, by the way, the, the, the Flyers gave up Peter Forsberg, Ron Hextall, Steve Duchesne, Kerry Huffman, Mike Ricci, Chris Simon, and two draft picks. One of which turned out to be um, the goalie. Um, Nah, uh, the goalie that actually I think helped uh, Colorado win the cup. What was his name? Uh, Jocelyn um, Tebow. Tebow, yeah, yeah. I, I still think you know who was a better look, player, Lindros or Forsberg in his prime? Oh, Forsberg, thousand percent, right. because he could stay healthy. You know, but I mean, Lindros is in the Hall of Fame, and so is Forsberg. Quite frankly, you know, I, I'm not I don't saying Lindros they... was a bust. I'm just saying you gave up an awful lot to get him, and I yeah. don't know. You know, you never want to cut with Lindros. Yes, you made some deep runs. And I love Lindros. He was like my favorite player. But I'm wondering if, looking back, would you make that trade again? Hindsight being 2020. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like It's a great radio question because once you throw the hindsight in, then you really got to pause. But I think with everything, remember that, um, did you watch the Comcast special when they did the case for 88? Yes. And they did the whole thing about how that all went down and how the Quebec Nordiques owner was trying to, play both sides of the fence and he told the flyers he had a deal and then he went to the rangers and said well you got more money i'll take your deal the flyers said hell no hold on here and then mr steiner got a lawyer involved and uh your dad's a lawyer so you know how lawyers work there ah, you know <laughs> i probably crazy. watched that special 10 times it's fascinating isn't it yeah all right yeah. uh pete thompson uh his uh uh, extra points column comes out in the Friday edition of the uh, Shore Local. And, of course, uh, when we come back, his That's Entertainment column also appears in the Friday edition of Shore Local. We'll see what... Uh... Oh, Hold on, PT. Hold on, PT. Yeah. Haven't you learned by now when the music plays, you got to shut up? I was saying give a tip of the cap to Tri-Cape as well because I, if we're moving away from sports, I want to tip my cap. They want back you could do that on the comeback. You don't have to try to talk over top of the music. I mean, doing this his whole life, he still can't figure it out. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. PT's column, That's Entertainment, is in the Friday edition of Shore Local. We'll take a look at what he's uh, recommending this week when we come back. On the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports Bash. ESPN. 533 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. Download the app. You can win Gil's Grill. Give it away a free grill on Friday. All you got to do is download the app, enter through the app, listen for your name. The grill is yours, PT. When was the last time you were out on the grill? Are you... uh? Out there getting that grill fired up this summer already? We gave our grill to Michael. So uh, we had it in the back, and uh, we have not grilled in a while. And wow. he's now in the place. So he uh, took the grill and the two bags of charcoal, 
with them. I could see the PT out there with a spatula and the Jesus sandals flipping. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of a man's place, a man in the grill. Like, you know, you don't get in between those two. But, yeah, I uh, retweeted that story for you today the, about the Gills Grill and asked the question, like, what's the favorite grill item? Is it the burger? Is it the dog? Is it the steak? Is it the, you know, what is it? Like, what do you go for? Yeah, I like People, to. Uh, see, I'll do a whole afternoon where yeah, I'll put the. Do, yeah. I'll do the wings on the grill on low heat for okay. hours. And just let them grill that? all day long. Now, is there any? I don't eat this stuff, you know, but is there any seafood that's good on the grill? Yeah, you can do seafood on the grill. Okay. I've seen a lot of people like, you know, take great pride in lengthy, long, slow cooking on different grills. Yep. And then, of course, you know, you got all these different kinds of like, which is better? Is it is it better with wood? Is it better with charcoal? Is it better with gas? You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's a whole uh, cottage industry. These you got to buy your white sneaks with the blue ends, PT, and get <laughs> out there and flip some burgers, buddy. That's right. The Grill Master 3000. All right. Uh, that's Entertainment is the name of the column. You can check it out in Friday's edition of the Shore Local PT. So what are we watching this week? Well, let's start with this. Have you seen that Jackie Childs is back on TV? I couldn't tell you one thing. Oh, Jackie Child. I thought you meant Jackie Chan. The the no, no, Jackie Childs. No, uh, from I, I had Seinfeld. Best story. I'm watching a show today, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. I'm watching it. I just started a new series called The Old Man. But before I uh, had started it, I think I was watching the College World Series for about 15 minutes or something. And on ESPN, all of a sudden, I see Jackie Childs' door come up. And it's exactly the spot with Phil Morris, the same actor. You know, he's got some gray hair. And he's basically doing a fake commercial for, you know, this lawsuit, right? And he's soliciting clients to take action against Snyder's for calling their pretzel pieces pretzels. He's like, these are pieces. They're not pretzels. They're they're only pieces. Was it a commercial? (laughs) It's exactly. It's the same desk. It's the same set. It's the same trophies. Yes. It's a commercial for Snyder's of Hanover pretzel (laughs) pieces. I'm telling you, when you see it, you're going to be like, that was awesome. (laughs) I'll have to keep my eye out for that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, as soon as we were, I knew today was an entertainment day, I was like, oh, my God. Like, apparently this Phil Morris, this is the gift that keeps on giving, okay? You, you, oh, and here's how it works. So it's the parody of the low-budget attorney commercials that would run sorting, you know, telling clients to take action, right? Yeah. They call this hotline, and then actually there's no action. When you call the hotline, then you could get free pretzel pieces for life. But this Jackie Childs, not only was he in the infamous episode of, Seinfeld or a couple of Seinfelds, right? But he was in Honda and Dr. Pepper commercials too at one point. So that's just that's just great. I'll keep my eye. Now what channel did you see this commercial on? I saw it on ESPN, but like I guess what happened was um they did a, between the innings of a Mets baseball game, they did that uh anniversary of the second spitter game. So like there and they ran some stuff when the, when SNY went to break. So if you're Snyder's Hanover, you're trying to put these in sporting events where people will you know get the most eyeballs and you know sports and pretzels go together, right? Gotcha. Yep, uh, I like a nice pretzel. 
Do you remember uh, what the uh, case was in uh, Kramer's uh, first lawsuit with Jackie Childs? Like the first, uh, the first uh, yeah, iteration of that character. Uh, when he when he had the when he had the um, oh man no uh, yeah I, I mean I do remember I just I got I'm trying to I'm blanking for a second I'll think of it right so it was based on a real life case Liebeck versus McDonald's yeah with uh, with uh, okay it was the it was the O Henry candy bar thing oh I thought I thought it was from season seven where he gets the settlement from Java World that offers free coffee at all its stores oh the you burn know? that was the the burn the who told you to put the bomb on I never told you to put the bomb on <laughs> So yeah. So was that wait, wait? So that one. So was that before? Um, um, man, what the heck was her name in that show? Oh my gosh! Well, this is before. I mean, you are the Seinfeld. Guy, I know, so and I just had her name. About I just had her name in my head, but she was the heiress to the O Henry Candy Bar, and she was oh, trying to. True. She was trying to put the bra on, and she couldn't fit. He says, you know, <laughs> she tries to put the bra on over top the jacket. He says it's got to go up against your skin. Like a glove. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, God Sue Ellen Mischke. Sue Ellen Mischke was her name. Mischke. Sue Ellen Mischke. Yeah, yes. I remember that actress. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she went on to be on. Uh, the actress's name is Brenda Strong, and she was on Desperate Housewives. Good she pull. The voice yeah, because she was walking down the street wearing just a bra, and it caused the accident. <laughs> and, and Kramer had uh, <laughs> Kramer and Newman had a uh, whiplash. Now this might be too inside baseball for you, but the these spots, these new Snyder spots, that's another thing that I noticed because we watch everything in HD these days, right? So all of a sudden I'm like, what happened to my TV? They have it in four by three, the four by three aspect ratio. So you know, you kind of got the wings on both sides, and it's it, it's more uh, uh, square than rectangle. You, you know what I'm saying? They, they went back to that. They very much have a 90s feel to it. And, uh, yeah, you definitely got to keep your eye out for that. Anyhow, uh, The Old Man. I got to get to The Old Man. So this is a show that they had teased uh, on FX. And you know how I feel about that network, Mike Gill. Wait, wait, is FX still on? Yes. Yes, it is still on. Oh, I was thinking of Spike. Yeah, no, FX is definitely still on. Spike uh, is out of business. FX gave us the... um, uh, the Americans, right? Yeah. And FX also gave us what was the other episode thing that I will? Oh, Fargo. The first three seasons of Fargo were great. When they put Chris Rock in Fargo, I would have slapped him. But that's not important right now. But yeah, Chris, you shouldn't have a comedian in a drama. But the first three seasons of those two shows were outstanding. And uh, the old man is—it's got Jeff Bridges. You know who that is, right? Uh, yeah, Jeff Bridges. I know. Sure. How how could you not? Right. He's been in everything. And it's got John Lithgow. You like John Lithgow. Right. So Jeff Bridges, John Lithgow, uh, Amy Brenneman. Those are the big three. The premise is this. Dan Chase is a former CIA operative who's been living off the grid for 30 years. After killing an assassin, Chase is forced into hiding. While in hiding, he rents a room from Zoe McDonald, played by Amy Brenneman, who he is then forced to partner with while on the run. Meanwhile, FBI Assistant Director for Counterintelligence, Harold Harper, John Lithgow, is called on to bring in Chase because of their complicated past. And it goes on from there. There's seven episodes. The first two dropped over the weekend just in time for Father's Day. And they are top notch. And this is Old Man? The Old Man. Okay. It's actually based on a book in 2017 by Thomas Perry, but it is 
Woo! Is it good? All right. Well, I'll keep that on the list because uh, I'm. Uh, I, I still have a little ways to go. Blacklist. I'm into season six now. You're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that Reddington's not Reddington. All right. You're like the little engine that could. You're getting there. Um, I should also say that I did. I haven't watched it yet, but I DVR'd after Jackie off the History Channel. That was a good one about the, the second wave of talented black baseball players after Jackie Robinson, like guys like Bill White, Kurt Flood, Bob Gibson. Like what what was their fight for racial equality? So I DVR'd that because I really want to watch that. And then we can't we can't quote unquote hang up from this segment without talking about Nick Faldo, right? Sir Nick Faldo is retired. Well, that's going to be. Are- Part of the uh, announcer schedule podcast I'm recording uh, tomorrow. You know who our guest is on the podcast, by the way, tomorrow, PT? I think I saw it on Twitter, but refresh my memory. Larry Colmus. Oh, that's awesome. The yeah. uh, voice of the Triple Crown, Peter. Down the stretch they come. So I that's played great. for you. Didn't I play for you when he did the race where the one horse was my wife knows everything and the other horse was my <laughs> wife knows, uh, my, that my wife doesn't know? I can't wait to ask him how he was able to keep a straight straight face and not start dying laughing, you know? Yeah, you and I did a segment once on funny horse names, you know? Yes. I remember we did that one time. Uh, Yeah, that was a while back. What was that, during the pandemic or something? Well, you and I have been together a long time, pal. We've we've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) Yeah, well, so what else you got? I just want to, uh, you know, uh, talk a little bit about the fact that um, uh, Trevor Immelman's going to be the guy. You know, Faldo stepping down. Trevor Immelman's going to be the guy. I'm, I'm going to. I liked Dick Faldo. He, he grew on me. I thought he did a nice job. Oh, and I have the uh, time traveler's wife. I got to watch the last one of that. That's probably the only one that's a little, it's a little sappy, you know. But uh, but I'm, I'm going to. I've been now, anything with time travel. I'm a sucker for. Now, as you know, I was saying in the morning. I've been watching. Um, Better Call Saul. Right. So I fit another episode in today. I just got into a new season in Better Call Saul as well. So, But mind you, you watched the entire run of Breaking Bad, correct? I did. Yeah. Well, I haven't watched a single episode of Breaking Bad, so it would kind of be cheating if I went to Better Call Saul. Yeah, I would go, I would go the other way first. Huh. Yeah, yeah I think you got to go in order, you know. Plus... I don't even want to bring it up because I don't want to give you low-hanging fruit again, but I still have to get through the wire. The wire, yeah, I know. Yeah, There's Tortorella. Yeah, he, they did his uh, press conference today. He's wearing a black striped Under Armour. Yep, I like that. I like that. Flyers logo on it. I saw one of his, uh, yeah, I saw that uh, Under Armour. I said, oh, that's a nice one. Maybe so I can get my hands on that one somehow. Well, we'll see if they're selling them. Remember, I learned that trick from Rob Brooks, the guy that does all the Phillies yep. uh, broadcaster shirts. That just because you see the broadcaster wearing it or just because you see the coach wearing it doesn't necessarily mean that you, me, and John Q. Public can purchase it. Well, I know. A lot of times they just find the shirts and then slap the logo on. Yeah, I know. I tried to get the uh, Sixers to, uh, you know, I love the stuff. Some of the, I like a lot of the stuff that the coaches wear. Yeah, and they don't have it, right? It's no. just literally just made for the coaches? Yes. So. Yeah. Come on now. Coaches That's unacceptable. All right, uh, so the uh, column, That's Entertainment, it's on Friday's edition uh, of the Shore Local, which you can get on your newsstands. Where is that, Wawa? Yeah, most of the Wawas, they're in the front. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts is starting to put them back in, and, uh, you know, places that are that are advertisers in the thing. So if uh, if you, there's an advertisement for a restaurant or a facility, like um, 
the, you know, the burrito place on Tilton Road, right? They have them in there because they're in there. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Any of those places do. All right. Uh, there he is, Pete Thompson, back on Friday. Now, don't forget on Friday when he's back, we're going to announce the winner of Gill's Grill. I'm going to be giving away a grill. Just get the app, download the app. You can enter through the app and uh, just fill out the form. Your name comes to me. I'll randomly select the name. Bang, you get a new grill. PT. And I'm not eligible to win the grill, right? No, you are not, but you need <laughs> to get a grill. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, what am I doing? Yeah, what are you doing? All right, we're going to close out this show next. Now, back to the Sports Bash. ESPN. All right, 551, getting ready to close out a, uh, it's only Tuesday. I feel like it should be Thursday and tomorrow should be Friday. Anybody else agree? You want to give away that grill? I do want to give away the grill. I got Gil's Grill. Sign up now on our website. Go to 973ESPN.com. It's really easy to do. Just go to the website. The directions are there. It's no more than I need to get your name because I'm going to announce the winning name on Friday's show at 5 o'clock during Happy Hour Friday. I'll say so-and-so from so-and-so. You're the winner of a grill. Woo! It's as simple as that, man. We've uh, got a lot of things we're going to be doing with the app. Now, you got tickets for the seafood uh, festival coming up, right? Yes. Yeah, starting today, we're going to be giving away four packs of tickets to the Atlantic State Seafood and Music Festival yeah. this weekend. Yeah. So tune in next on Game Night for your chance to win a four-pack. I like it. So a four-pack. Seafood Fest tickets, that's tonight. Win a grill on the Sports Bash. Go to 973ESPN.com. We're really trying to feed people here, aren't we? I like the Seafood Festival idea. You were asking me about, uh, we were talking about seafood during the break. Forget how that came up. What about a restaurant? And PT was asking me about, can I put seafood on the grill? Do I make seafood on the grill? Do you? Oh, a lot of times, yeah. I'll do I like, like seafood uh, on the grill. Hmm? I like seafood on the grill. Yeah, got to. Got to do seafood on the grill. It's a good spot. Now, like I have the air fryer, right? Mm-hmm. But in the summertime, I will go over the air fryer in favor of the grill. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like the way you think. So uh, you watching game four tonight? You in? Game four tomorrow night. Oh, today's Tuesday. That's right. I was just saying. I wish today was <laughs> Thursday you to Friday. Today was Thursday. You thought it was Wednesday. You're yeah, Phillies made... tonight. You got Phillies tonight at 8 o'clock. Phillies tonight at 8 o'clock. We get to see the guy that Phillies might acquire, Martin uh, Perez, right? might acquire. I mean, he's a guy that would be available. How about that? Would you be happy if they acquired Martin Perez? I mean, I'd be acquired if they have anybody with a pulse. <laughs> I like this guy. And, I, you know, we always appreciate people who comment on the uh, Facebook page. Yeah. This guy's comment is a little uh, irrational, I would say. Uh-oh. See if I can get it real fast. He says, uh, his name's Frank. Frank? And he says, uh, the second wild card NL spot should be a reasonably achievable goal this season. I wonder if Franco knows there's actually three wild card spots this year. says it's, um, this is what they should do to get that second wild card spot. You ready? Okay, I'm listening. They should immediately DA pitchers Familia, Hand, and Knable. Okay. Sign replacements that will win games or save games. 
and be at spring training in 2023. Yeah, these guys are all just hanging on the street there, Franco. I don't think he understands how baseball transactions work. He says, obviously, the three pitchers I had mentioned highly disappointed us. And obviously, you don't know how baseball transactions work. He goes on to say, let's make a deal without losing top-tier minor league prospects. All right, now. So he wants to designate for assignment three guys who have eaten up the most innings in your bullpen. Right. Sign replacements that will be better than them. Yep. And... Make trades without trading your top prospects. This all sounds reasonable. I think he's played too many video games. Well, good luck following that. I'm out of here. I'll be back tomorrow on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Have a great night, everybody.